Hey everyone, Jace here. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to tell you about a campaign for an awesome creator-owned book that's going on right now over at Zoop. Axewilder John is the story of a savage journey into the heart of a man driven mad by love, by hate, by power, as he is hounded by hordes of relentless enemies who will stop at nothing to reclaim what John has stolen. This is a real passion project for writer-artist Nick Patera, as he's drawing inspiration from creators he loves, such as Frank Quietly, Jeff Darrow, and Mobius, among others. The book is also a deeply personal tale for Nick. He conceived a lot of the character and stories while his family was dealing with health challenges for his youngest daughter. Just like real life, the story is much more complicated than it might seem at first glance. And the axe-wielding barbarian at the heart of the story may be much, much more relatable than your average bloodthirsty warrior. The project's already fully funded, so go join the campaign, and you're guaranteed to get this full-color, oversized, hardcover edition. Just visit zoop.gg to check it out. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Time to talk DC Comics for the week of May 10th, 2022. Uh, we're also going to mention or talk about the free comic book day offering. Uh, not the, the Super Pets one, but the other big one leading into uh, the rest of the year for DC. Because there's a checklist in Dark Crisis number zero for the rest of the event. And you will notice that it runs all the way through December. So it's not one of those situations where they're going to, you know, put it out weekly or bi-weekly and try to get it over with. So it's going to be interesting to see what goes on in the other books. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that at some point, you know, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are not going to be in their regular books. They got to be dead at some point uh, if they're dead for half a year in, in Dark Crisis. Wouldn't you yeah, say, uh, well, I heard, that, I heard that the events of Justice League 75 takes place a, th- a few months ahead of what's currently occurring in all of the various DC comics. But I, I think that's, that's actually what what's going on here because we let's be blunt. We have, we're going to be reviewing comics right now. It's quite obvious that Wonder Woman's still alive currently. I mean, if we, you know, cur- obviously the timelines are a little bit wonky here in terms of continuity because we're going to be reviewing various comics and the various justice league members are still alive in the current comic book. So the, the events of justice league 75, I think must take place a few, a few months from now in the mainstream timeline. Yeah. And it makes you wonder what about flashpoint beyond? How does that, how would that, does that tie in to dark crisis at all? Cause that's the other quote unquote event that's going on right now. Uh, and we know that one ori- was originally planned on uh, as uh, coming out every two weeks. And then DC pushed it back where it's coming out monthly now. Um, but I did see on Twitter yesterday, free comic book day, as we're recording this, um, May 7th, I guess that would have been the first Saturday in May as free comic book day always is 
that Jeff Johns and Tim Sheridan and Jeremy Adams were all signing at Collector's Paradise in uh, Hollywood. Uh, you know, the the team, the writing team for Dark Crisis. I was like, man, I, I really wish, really wish I was there because uh, I got a lot of questions after reading Dark Crisis Zero, which we're going to kind of lump it in with the rest of the books from last week. Um, so hope you have had a chance to read it, but we'll talk about it uh, first, well, I guess, because it's, it's, yeah. it's on the mind. Yeah. And uh, it was, I thought it was the best, best book of the week. But uh, before we get into that, we do have to mention, unfortunately, this, the second DC spotlight in a row where we have to announce the passing of an absolute Titan of the, the industry. So late Friday night, uh, storyteller, penciler, creator, writer, George Perez, uh, lost his battle with, with cancer. So we all knew this day was coming. Uh, sooner than later, as he chose to spend the last of uh, his time uh, not getting treatment, but um, but instead, uh, you know, spending it at home with his family rather than in and out of the hospital for treatments and whatnot. And so uh, that even though knowing it was coming didn't lessen the impact, at least not for me. It's uh, it's a tremendous loss. I mean, he was 67 years old. Well, that's not exactly a spring chicken. That's not really that old these days either to uh, to have passed away. So obviously, you know, when he got diagnosed, his cancer was already stage four. Uh, it's it's just a tremendous loss for the industry to lose Neil Adams and Neil Adams and George Perez in the span of eight days. Um, I saw somebody on Twitter say, "If you want to explain this to somebody who's not into comics at all, just uh, say to them." Imagine if Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg both died in the same week. That's that's the level of loss. That's the level of creative talent uh, that we're talking about that that's left us. And when you're talking about Perez, like forget about his contributions to the Avengers, to Crisis on Infinite Earths, to uh, Infinity Gauntlet, to you know creating the new Teen Titans. Put all that aside. Let's just talk about this man as a as a human being. One of the most genuine loving, humble, sincere people I've ever met in my life. Uh, I remember asking him about doing a, an interview at a show one time. And he's like, I, I don't do interviews at shows because when I'm here, I want to dedicate every second I can to the fans that are here to see me that line up that want to get a commission or want to have a book sign or want to have an interaction with me. And I don't do too many interviews when I'm not at a show because I want to spend as much time as I can with my wife. So you got to respect somebody that has their priorities straight in, in that way. Was I disappointed to never have him on the show? Of course I was. Did I respect the hell out of him? Uh, did I have great interactions with him every time I saw him? 100%. So uh, there will never be another George Perez. Uh, it just won't happen. The guy was one of a kind. And uh, my condolences to all his friends and family and uh, all of us comic fans have, have definitely lost something um, now that George Perez is no longer with us. You know, I know he retired from penciling and was having trouble with his eyes uh, a few years ago, but uh, even to just still have him around as, uh, as a resource, as a treasure trove, tell stories and meet fans that, that, you know, he still brought so much value to the industry in that way. And uh, we're all, the whole world is a, is a, a dimmer place for not having George Perez in it anymore. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was hard. And again, even knowing it was coming, it, it didn't make it any less heartbreaking to know that he, uh, he has passed on. But, um, 
he's at peace. He, he passed away. He wasn't in pain. Uh, his pain was being managed and everything. And so, uh, again, best to his, his family and friends. Uh, anything to add, Rocky? Uh, George Perez formed part of the mythology of my childhood and of my formative years. I, I did a seven-minute tribute to him, and I'll give a 30-second diatribe right now. I was born Roman Catholic, and I became an agnostic. And then I soon developed my, the religion of my life is, is formed from comic books. I believe in the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And the formative formation of that was because of George Perez and the crisis in infinite earth and the history of the DC universe, volume two, which ended uh, talking about the golden rule and that the stuff of heroes is within us all. It's the ability to go beyond the normal routine and lend help to those who need it. Food to the hungry, freedom to the oppressed, safety to the victim, peace to the survivors of war. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. To be a hero is to live by those words. It's as simple as that. Those are the words of Harbinger at the end of the history of the DC Universe. Thank you, George Perez, for illustrating that beautiful compilation and for Marv Wolfman for writing it. We have lost a legend. We have lost one of our giants for those of us who love comic books. And I am wearing... This is my dad, my dad's Hawaiian t-shirt as a tribute to George Perez, who loved wearing his own Hawaiian t-shirts with superheroes all over it. I lost my dad, whatever, four or five months ago. We've lost Perez. I, you know, this is personal to me. Uh, I really feel George Perez's loss more so than Neil Adams. Neil Adams was a legend, but I mean, I certainly feel that too, but this was really personal to me. And, uh, and thank, thank you, George Perez for, for having the, I mean, what this guy did, he knew he was dying and he, he decided to say, you know, look, I'm going to go home and I'm going to let nature take its course. He allowed us the privilege of showing us our tributes to him over the past year. Many of us have done so. I did at least two live streams showing my love and tribute to George Perez. We talked about it before and, um, I, I thank him for that because we got to celebrate his life while he was still around to see how much we all loved his work and his loss is a loss for all of us. And look, every time you complain about a DC crisis, you know who to blame. It's George Perez, but don't blame him because his amazing art, every time you think of a crisis, it's impossible not to think about the amazing artwork that he did. Because when I remember Kurt Busiek, when Kurt Busiek said to George Perez, um, well, we're, we're doing a, a panel with so many uh, players on it. We need some Teen Titans. We need some Justice League. Uh, how, many, how many characters do you want to draw? And George Perez's typical response is usually all of them. And he drew all of them. And no one's been able to draw every character that well since, whether it's the Crisis, every DC character, whether it's Infinity Gauntlet, almost every Marvel character, or whether it's JLA versus Avengers, almost every character that's worthy of mention. The man is an artistic legend, and let's not forget that the guy knew how to write as well, because he revitalized Wonder Woman and put her on the map as well. So much to say, George Perez, we love you, and hey, thank you for everything. Yeah, I can't. It can't be overstated how, man, he could, you know, with so much detail, you know, he would he would always give you more than you asked for as a, as a writer. So, 
Uh, okay, well, let's go ahead and dive into uh, Dark Crisis Zero. As I said, uh, first book that uh, we'll talk about. There is a checklist in the back. Uh, again, start kicks off in May, Justice League Road to Dark Crisis number one. And then June through December, we have Dark Crisis number one through seven, plus all these other tie-ins. Uh, looks like the only regular series that it's tying into is Flash, with Flash issues 784 and 785. And then there are a bunch of other one-shots. Dark Crisis Young Justice has six issues. Dark Crisis World Without a Justice League. Dark Crisis War Zone. Uh, Dark Crisis World Without a Justice League Wonder Woman. So there, there's plenty of other tie-ins. So uh, you can uh, look at the checklist there to see what uh, what is coming. So this one-shot um, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Daniel Samper for the, the regular um, Dark Crisis. But in, in this issue, it's written by Williamson. But Jim Chung does the uh, does the art, and I think it's I want to say Wilson Ramos because uh, I, I see the credits on the front cover. Uh, J. David Ramos actually um, does the colors, and then Tom Napolitano on letters. Uh, and and so with this issue zero, the Justice League has has already died, and we see somebody giving a tour to some kids of the the Hall of Justice, and as this person is giving the tour, <laughs> the kids are asking a bunch of questions. The tour guide gets annoyed by the questions the kids are asking and come to find out the tour guide is Clayface. He's there to steal a mother box. And uh, Wally West Flash shows up, defeats Clayface, and with the help of the kids, keeps the mother box out of the hands of, uh, of Clayface. But where this issue really shines is uh, in the characterization of Wally West by uh, Joshua Williamson and what he talks about. He talks about losing his mentor during the first crisis, obviously that being Barry Allen, how he died in crisis number eight, um, and talking about whether there will be another Justice League. That's one of the things the kids are asking, you know, will if there will be another Justice League or when there will be another Justice League. And Wally West said, it's not really a question of if we'll have a new Justice League or when we'll have a new Justice League. The real question is who, who would be in the new Justice League? Uh, so again, I'm really, really excited about Dark Crisis. We do get a, a sneak preview that gives a little bit of a, a recap of everything that's happened recently and how we got to where we are with the Great Darkness. It's basically the eulogy that uh, Nightwing is giving out in front of the Hall of Justice. Uh, we see just this huge crowd. Everybody has a candle lit, and they're all honoring those that have fallen before. Um, so it's getting people up to speed and... Uh, I'm assuming these are the first pages of, of Dark Crisis because it says it's a sneak preview. Um, but what I really want to know is what comes next, right? Um, so many times we get a crisis in the DC universe and it's to sort of reset things or clean up continuity issues or whatnot. So the big three, along with other members of the Justice League, are off the table now. What's going to get cleaned up? Is Alfred going to come back? Are we going to get um, the, the, the Omniverse you know, removed, like what, what's going to be the state of the DCU? Not that I'm saddened or, um, or disappointed with the current state of the, the DC universe, but it is, things are a little messy right now with this whole idea that everything counts and everything matters. So I wouldn't mind having a little bit more structure and a little more framework. And, and that's my hope for dark crisis. Um, as far as sort of real world consequences go for the DCU. But at the end of the day, I just want it to be a good story. So and I will also mention in Dark Crisis Zero, there is a, sort of a recap of uh, of previous crises by Chris Burnham. It's just a few pages. 
Uh, Chris Burnham does the art. Uh, I think that one's written by Joshua Williamson as well uh, with Dennis Culver. Uh, and it's Chris Burnham and Rafa Sandoval on art. It's history of the DC multiverse, basically, with Hi-Fi and Matt Herms on colors. So uh, I think this was a fantastic giveaway to get people up to speed. Hopefully it's enough to get people interested in picking up Dark Crisis uh, because I've said this before, but it certainly feels like this crisis uh, has been promoted much less than Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, the first one, uh, Infinite Crisis or Final Crisis. I know there have been some others like Heroes in Crisis, but to me that doesn't really count as a, as a crisis because yeah. that was never going to really change the, the structure of the DC Universe the way the others have. Um, so anyway, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great giveaway. And uh, if I lump this in with the other comics that came out for the week of um, of May 4th, then or, or uh, May 3rd, I guess, is when these books dropped, then this is actually my book of the week. So what do you think, Rocky? Yeah, I thought it was a I thought it was an excellent new comic book day comic. It, it, it's exactly what DC needs. Uh, if I were, if I'm I'm a little uh Critical of DC marketing. I know that in my city here of uh, Medicine Ad, Southern Alberta, DC uh, basically sort of like they kind of like pooped the bed. They pulled an amber turd and they uh, they only gave uh, Canadian retailers 24 hours to place their final order cutoff for a final for a comic book uh, for free comic book day accordingly my my retailer missed it in medicine hat because they never placed their order within the 24 hours they were only given and so uh i was at my local library and there was over 35 free comic book day titles and dc wasn't among them because of dc blundering again uh at the editorial level or at the marketing level uh because uh you know some retailers missed it and uh it's just it's it's sad. It's unfortunate because this is an absolutely crucial book now. But at the same time, this is another crisis. There's been too many crises and one can judge for themselves whether or not uh, uh, people are going to give this attention. I want people to give this attention. I think it's I think this is prob. I already think that this is going to be better from quality in terms of storytelling than death metal was. But I think people are sick of DC crises. And I don't I fear my biggest fear is that people aren't going to give this crisis enough attention. They're not going to give this because they're tired of a crisis. This is too soon. Uh, we've, uh, we coming out of Darth death metal, we had future state. We still have confusion as to whether or not future state exists because we have this title called Gotham state, future state Gotham, which shouldn't exist, but it does. Uh, we have this and we had the death of the justice league tied into a dark crisis. Uh, I think people, I think the, I think the timing of this and everything is just, it leaves much to be desired, but I actually think the story is interesting. I think this is a very interesting story. I think this is heading towards something. I I feel that this new legacy of Justice League characters of Jackson Hyde, of uh, of John Kent, of of Jace's Batman. I think of Yara Flora's Wonder Wonder Girl, Wonder the future Wonder Woman. I think there's potential here, but I feel that there's been a lack of appropriate. Uh, organic development to really make them shine, but maybe they're going to shine at this in this dark crisis because they're going to step up to the plate because they have to. The Justice League is dead as of Justice League seventy five, and I think that this opening issue does a good job of of dumbing down 
you know, it's like it's, it's like DC crisis for dummies. And that's and that's what we need. I mean, even a longtime reader like myself. Guess what? Surprise, surprise. I drink a lot and I forget. I like to have a reminder once in a while. You know what happened in the past? And that's what this gives. So this is a really good primer for readers. And I really hope people give Free Comic Book Day, Dark Crisis, a look-see. And uh, I really hope that they give Dark Crisis uh, a, a chance and pick up Justice League 75. Pick up this free comic book, Dark Crisis issue. And stick with it for Dark Crisis because I really do think that Joshua Williamson is going to be building something here. And so don't let the naysayers... Uh, I ask people not to give give in to the naysaying or, or their cynicism, of which I share from time to time. Uh, I do think DC is is headed to, t- toward better and brighter days. Um, and, uh, you know, let's keep our fingers crossed. God forbid, let's, let us be optimistic. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, I want to say that, that the new comic book day is available digitally for free also. Um, so I did get it for free at my local shop, but then I also paid a premium for this, which is... Uh, nice. A foil version of it with no trade dress. Uh, awesome. Well, you guys can see that. So, yeah, yeah. I dropped a, I dropped a, a decent amount of money at my my local shop. I actually went in on Friday <laughs> when I got back into town, and he already had to put up a bunch of new wall books in preparation for New Convict Day. But I, I was like, I, I'm not waiting till tomorrow because I don't know what time I'll be able to get here, and that's going to be gone, and that's going to be gone, and that's going to be gone. So, I picked up a, a few different things, um, a couple Moon Nights. That I already had, but they were good. It was a good price for a, like that Bill Sienkiewicz black cover, uh, Captain Marvel Thanos issue I needed, and uh, a Captain America issue, a couple other things. So, anyway, yeah, I echo Rocky's sentiments um, about people being probably a little tired of crises. And I don't know, I think maybe, I mean, I know at this point it's a hallmark of DC to call these events crises, but yeah, like maybe call it something. Like if you just called this Death of the Justice League, that got people's attention. Um, and if you just called it like, I don't know, death of justice league aftermath, you might, you might not scare people away. So, uh, anyway, let's move on to the first book that we're going to talk about. It's a new, um, a new, uh, milestone title, blood syndicate season one, number one. So, uh, this was, a a, a book back in the day, a, a milestone book back in the day, one of their team books and, uh, we get the first issue, but I, I don't know about your copy Rocky, but. I didn't see any credits um, in my copy. Now, I've, I'm yeah. just, you know, based on the fact that it's, uh, you know, the front front cover, we can say, well, it's written by Jeffrey Thorne. Chris Cross does the art, but I don't know, like Castro and Quintana that are, um, that are credited as well. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming one of them did inks yeah. maybe over Chris Cross. Another one did, did the colors, but I don't. I don't actually know who did what, so apologies to the, the to the creative team because uh, I don't I can't give proper credit. But uh, anyway, what did you think of this issue? I uh, oh, sorry about this. I don't know what happened here. Let's see, here. I I I thought this was good. One of the advantages I think of the milestone uh, characters or the milestone comics is that I I do think it's. Uh, I, I find the continuity easier to catch on to. Like I, I, I do think it's more accessible. I think it's accessible. It's it's the the milestone universe is not the DC universe. So it's not it's not in this it's in a universe where it has its own 
it's literally got its own hero. So this is in the same, this is in the same universe that Icon and Rocket are in, that Static are in, and that Hardware is in. And so this Blood Syndicate is sort of building on, it's building in that same world. And and I like this because right away we're sort of delved in. We we got a military unit here, and uh, and the characters in this unit ultimately end up going back to Dakota City. Where they where they discover where they where they discover firsthand about the existence of superheroes and Icon and Rocket and and what have you, and they they you know they come across their own their own adventures and it's this is building the mythology of that in the Milestone universe that I think is very much needed. I love the art by by Chris Cross. It's really good. I I. Th- I think it's amazing, actually. It, it's it's probably it, this is quite frankly this is better quality art that I wish this quality of art was in some of the some of the mainstream DC titles. I quite enjoyed this. I thought that if if you're looking, this is this is uh, I find this accessible too. I this is an easy to understand uh, you know storyline. This is it's starting from scratch. We're getting to know these characters. And and I want to be I want to I want to be upfront about my own ignorance upfront. I wasn't I never I never collected or read the Milestone comics when they came out in back in 1996. I'm I feel like I'm learning about Icon and Rocket and Static and Hardware and now the Blood Syndicate for the first time. So I'm coming in blind here. So I'm not I can't gift or I can't gift anyone listening to this or watching this uh, with any sort of foreknowledge in terms of what the Blood Syndicate exactly is, but. They're basically a group. I'm assuming this is sort of like I'm getting the impression this is sort of like the Justice League version of the <laughs> of the Milestone universe, and that's what I think is cool. And I I love the character work here. I love the character work. Each character has their own voice. I love the fact that they seem almost these are military men that are sort of they. One of them has powers meta metahuman abilities in their own right but they also come into their own in terms that are they're they're becoming acclimated to the reality that they got superheroes in their world of 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 icon and rocket of static of hardware and and they got they have their own misadventures within their own neighborhood and quite frankly i like the fact that this is uh this is this is kind of like the black america this is this is something where frankly I kind of ignored it in 1996. It wasn't it wasn't really my cup of tea, and now I gotta admit I'm a little bit more curious now than I have been in the past. And this is good writing. I, I find it entertaining. I one of my fears is that I, I this is something where I, I hope more people give this an opportunity to give this a chance because the art's really good. I think it's I think the storytelling has a lot of potential. That we're at the this is a almost like a milestone rebirth of what what began to take off in 96, but wasn't allowed to fully bloom or blossom back then. And it has the opportunity. Now the characters are worth exploring. Uh, the art is, is truly fantastic. Some of the pages are really good here. And I, I encourage anyone, if, if you see blood syndicate, number one, pick this up, give it a read. And dare I say, I think you're going to be tempted maybe to check out the other titles in the Milestone universe because, look, there's so many things that you can do right now in the comic book universe, in the comic book world. But if you want to get into a world that you can enjoy and has its own continuity that's easy to catch on to, it's not a lot of comics to buy to get caught up on what's happening in Icon and Rocket, Static, Hardware, and I'll check out Blood Syndicate. 
it's pretty cool here. It's pretty cool. And I'm, I enjoyed this opening issue and I think it's worth for, uh, worth people, it's worth for people checking out because, you know, you got, you got, it's kind of like the hood, you know, and, but it's, it's, it's cool. You got some pretty awesome characters. You got superpowers. You got the military. You got, you got metahumans all, all around Dakota city. And it's sort of like, if, 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 in my view, it's sort of like a superhero, a meta version of like combining Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, uh, but throwing some superheroes and metahumans with it and a little bit of politics. And that's what this is. It's an eclectic mix of all those things, which frankly, I find really interesting right now. And I really hope people give it a, give it a look-see. Yeah, I wasn't as big of a fan of it as as you. I I think the potential here is off the charts. So I while I read Static and I read uh, Hardware and Icon, I didn't read Blood Syndicate. I bought a few issues back in the day, but I never read it. Um, so I'm not that familiar with them either. I'll, I just know that yeah, they're the, it was the team book uh, for Milestone. So um, I think the the problem that I have with it uh, there's a couple of things. So it sort of suffers from what we've seen some of the other uh, some of the other milestone books specifically hardware suffer from in that it seems like there's a lot of story here so much so that it, it sort of overstuffs the issue um, because I found that the uh, while the art from panel to panel is very good sometimes the transitions are really choppy um, but again that's because there's so much story here that Chris Cross is trying to cover I mean there's one page where the first panel is a car pulling up. The next panel is the reaction of uh, the the people who are standing on the sidewalk. The next panel is the car pulling, like actually stopping in front of them. Next panel is they're shooting guns. Next panel is the people dodging the bullets. There's it, it's not the the best transitions. Like you can get the gist of what's going on, but when you look at the page overall, it's it's just choppy um, and everything is a, the same level and so everything is the same view it's all medium depth looking straight on there's nothing like moving the camera around or zooming in or, or anything like that and so uh it's not the best um in terms of narrative storytelling but again i think the reason for that is because the story that jeffrey thorne is telling there's there's a lot to cover in only 20 pages 22 pages whatever it is so i get that and it's it's the same problem that that hardware had trying to find its footing and its pacing and, and whatnot. Um, so it's a minor nitpick. And again, the potential to get it right and eventually get there, the story, the story will be fantastic. It's not like I'm going to stop reading it because it, it was a little choppy visually. Um, the other thing that was a little wonky for me is the scripting from Jeffrey Thorne. Um, I, and again, I know that he's trying to have these guys like speak the way they speak and have it be authentic, but it's the difference between having words in that are spoken in live action when you use that kind of slang and whatnot and, and having it read um, when it's, when you use slang in a, in a comic that's read, it, it doesn't translate as well as what it might be if somebody were speaking it out loud. And the other thing it does to use slang is it dates the comic. So in 10 years, somebody's going to be reading this going, what the heck kind of words are these? You know, it's like, it would be like if somebody wrote a comic nowadays and we're using like groovy and far out man and that kind of stuff. So I'm not really a, a fan of, of doing that. And again, I get that he's trying to give these characters authentic voices, but 
there is a difference between scripting for something that's read out loud and scripting for a comic where it's not read out loud, basically. So, but again, it's a minor nitpick. Uh, I am a, a big fan of Jeffrey Thorne when he writes something other than Green Lantern. Get him away from John Stewart, um, and the guy's a, a pretty strong writer. So. Uh, I'm in on this. Uh, again, I think the art is fantastic as well. You know, when you're just talking about single panels, it's only in the transitions where sometimes it gets a little wonky, but I understand why. Um, and I, I think obviously as it goes along and these we get to know these characters and they're a little bit more fleshed out, I think that um, Thorne will probably be able to settle in with uh, the voices and the dialogue for the characters as well. So, yeah, I'm really curious because, again, I didn't read Blood Syndicate back in the day. I know much less about Blood Syndicate than I do Static and Hardware and Icon and Rocket. So we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, okay, up next we have Superman, Son of Kal-El. We're up to issue number 11. This is written by Tom Taylor. We have art by Siren uh, Tormi. Colors are by Federico Blee and Matt Herms. Letters by Dave Sharp. There's a fantastic interaction in this issue between uh, Jonathan Kent and I, I mean Paul Kent and Batman, which to me made the issue. It sh uh, once again shows the strength of Tom Taylor's writing. It's all about characterization for him um, and giving these characters really good uh, voices and authentic voices. Um, the fallout of the bombshell that Batman dropped last issue. On the final page, he basically told John Kent and Lois Lane, hey, you can't trust Jay Nakamura much to uh, Rocky's delight, since Rocky has that prejudice against characters with pink hair. Never trust a guy with pink hair. Um, so I, yeah, I thought that was that was interesting. You know that this issue picks up right where that one left off with John. Like, man, there's not too many people that I'm afraid of. You know, I'm invulnerable. I shouldn't fear people, but there are exceptions. But I'm still going to stand up to Batman. He says, "Batman, you're wrong," um, and. Uh, John struggles with that. But again, the characterization being the strength of what Tom Taylor does. So John Kent could do any number of things. He could investigate like Batman would, right? Let me find out what's going on. Let me, let me learn about, um, you know, what Jay's been up to and sneak around and try to get the answers. And when John Kent, he doesn't know what to do. He goes to Nightwing and we saw that that uh, relationship has been established a few issues ago, very strongly that uh, Nightwing in a way is a mentor for John he says, uh, you know, you're not that guy. You're not that paranoid guy. You're not that distrustful guy. So um, you you got to do you. And what? And John's like, maybe I'll just talk to him. And Nightwing's like, yeah, that's more on brand with who you are, right? You're just going to go and straight out ask. And he does. And Jay gives him the answer. And you understand where Batman's coming from. And you understand where Jay's coming from and where John's coming from. And, you know, it, it's not black and white. Did Jay have interactions and uh, did he work with this group that could be considered terrorists? Yes, he did. Did he have a good reason for doing it? Yes, he did. So, you know, your mileage may vary on whether or not you feel that Jay can be trusted or not, but it all felt very authentic. Uh, and then the, the action scene with the, the quote unquote burning man, one of the um, superpowered beings that um, Henry Bendix put the, uh, put the little bomb in their head a la Suicide Squad. That, that's pretty much the rest of the issue with John figuring out, hey, um, Bendix is not only controlling these people, he's seeing through their eyes, he's using them as like kind of living surveillance equipment. And 
you know, what's going to happen to this guy? Can we get some answers? Uh, and at the end of the day, Henry Bendix and Lex Luthor realized that John Kent's a lot more formidable than maybe they had given him credit for being. And I've been pretty critical um, of this title being called Superman because I feel like John Kent hasn't earned it. I still feel that way, but I feel like at least he's on the right path. He's learning. He's getting better. Um, and it's cool the way like he uses a mixture of microscopic x-ray and heat vision to remove the bomb from the guy's head or destroy it, keep it from blowing up. Like it's things like that. Um, but he still has a long way to go in my mind before he's Superman, but uh, at least Tom Taylor has him on the right path. So uh, I did enjoy this issue. I thought the Siren Torme art was, uh, was pretty solid. His storytelling is really, really great. Um, for me, it could use a little more detail. Uh, the rendering gets uh, a little wonky at times. He, he uses kind of a thicker line than I'm used to him seeing. So that kind of gives the images a little more uh, of a static feel rather than, you know, a feel of, of movement and a flow. Uh, but it's a minor, it's a minor nitpick. Overall, the art's really strong. Uh, what did you think of this one, Rocky? Uh, same criticisms as before. Uh, just snail place plotting, but absolutely really good character development. I mean, there's character moments here that continue to be really good. I mean, the you know, look, I mean, John Kent, I mean, every time, it doesn't matter who John Kent is talking to, whether it's Batman or Flash or Adam, or a potential victim or a hero or a villain, there are, you can, you really get a sense of who John Kent is and that his, his struggles and uh, his, his desire to help people. And one of the things that I think is, is shining through here, and you touched upon it, uh, Jace, when you, when you talked about, you know, you yourself, and, and I shared your, your cynicism about, you know, this isn't a Superman yet. He's still a Superboy. Why do they call this Superman son of Kal-El? He's still a Superboy. Well, I will give Tom Taylor credit. I do feel as if John Kent is also struggling with that question. And that makes, as a reader, I feel good about that because when when I know the character has his, has doubts about the quality of his character that I do as the reader, that at least endures me to the character a little bit. John Kent is self-aware about the judgments against him including my own judgments and yours are you a super you're not a superman yet you're a boy good lord you were a 10 year old in a volcano with ultraman you're not a superman who are you kidding so at least there's a little bit there where he's at least aware of that and he struggles with that but i also like the fact that he's utilizing the extra powers that he has it's been touched upon dare i say even by bendis uh, when he when he scripted John, that John actually has some powers that his father doesn't have. He John Kent has the ability to utilize his various vision powers in, in manners upon which even his own father, Kal-El, does not have the capabilities of doing so. And he utilizes that to good effect to actually save the uh, save the, the 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 fire guy here from having his head explode. And um, again, I, I do struggle. I, I I like the character work at the same time. I I like I like plots that move forward because of I like character driven plots. And I don't necessarily feel that this is a character driven plot. I feel that this is a plotting, slow plotting plot that's taken forever to see to, to play out. And in the meantime, all this stuff, like we didn't need these character moments in order to move the plot. On the other hand, 
I'm kind of sounding like a hypocrite because I just did all this complaining and then I have to acknowledge that I kind of enjoyed the character moments. <laughs> and yet at the same time, I'm frustrated with the lack of this plot moving forward. And to be honest, I have a sneaking suspicion, e even the way I actually still agree with Batman. I, I actually think that John Kent is, if this was written, if, Another writer could come along. John Kent's making a catastrophic error. His blind faith in in Jay Nakamura is is astonishing in his naivete. You're gonna you're gonna ask him why? Because 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 your grandfather tells you to. I mean, no offense, but I Jonathan Kent. Well, the hate the hate from Rocky on the pink hair. <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, but I mean, the the fact of the matter is, is that this this kid doesn't know. I mean, Jay Nakamura, that that's nothing. I mean, Jay Nakamura could be playing John Kent like a violin, and he wouldn't. Be, he, he's like an instrument, and he wouldn't know better. And and all because what he kisses, any, he's got a good he's, he's a good kisser. I mean, come on. Any I mean, I mean, if I I'm all I'm. I'm on team Batman on this. Like Batman should be looking at, at, uh, at Jonathan Kent saying, Jonathan, I know he's named after you, but for God's sakes, stop, you know, quit being so naive here. Uh, I mean, I I'm just saying <laughs> there's so much, so many reasons to not Batman is a hundred percent correct here. And at least, but I will say this in defense of the scripting here, John Kent at least acknowledges that Batman could be right. And that's one of the things that annoys John Kent. Goddamn, you know, maybe Batman's right. Maybe I'm letting my feelings get in the way of this. So Tom Daler does a good job acknowledging that. And and I say this as a compliment. If, if I'm sounding negative, it's an underhanded compliment that I'm giving Taylor because I'm creating for Tom Taylor. I admit I'm giving him an impossible task. I want the plot to move forward faster, and yet I want my cake and eat it too because I want the character moments well, he's giving me the character moments and then I bitch about the plot. So I'm, I'm aware of my own hypocrisy. and uh, But that's what keeps me glued to this title. That's what keeps me coming back to it month after month and why I am enjoying it. And I don't mind being frustrated if it's frustrations that where is this going? So I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. And I, I admit that maybe I'm being a little bit hard on it. But uh, anyways, I... I think this is a title that, that's worthy of continuing to being checked out because this is the son of Superman. So, of course, he's going to come under scrutiny, and I'm giving him a lot of scrutiny. I'm giving him the gears. But so far, John Kent is stepping up to the plate, and if he keeps this up, I'm going to be calling this guy Superman in the months to come. I mean, I guess we should never trust any new character ever then if they because they could be bad. I mean – like that's true of every single character ever created in, in comics when they come in, never trust anybody. And and that's the whole point of what Nightwing Nightwing tells John Kent. Like that's Batman. He never that's trusts true. anybody. He never. So point. yeah. Yep. Anytime anybody shows up, just assume they have ill intentions. Yeah. That's what Bruce Wayne does. That's not John Kent. It's not Superman. So I get it. Could Jay be bad? Yeah. But anybody could be bad. Yeah. Uh, if the writer wants Barbara Gordon could be bad Barbara Gordon could stab Dick Grayson you know and put him in a coma like whatever the writer wants at this point you know to pull the rug out from under us so uh, anyway let's move on uh, Sandman Universe Nightmare Country written by James Tynan we've got uh, Lissandro Esterin as the art artist on the first part of the story Andrea Sorrentini guest artist for the second part uh, Patricio Del Pesh does the colors for the Lissandro Esterin art. Jordi Belair on the Andrea Sorrentino art. Simon Bullen does the lettering for the whole thing. 
Uh, I don't have much to say about this. It's interesting. I, I think it's interesting that it's black label for the Sandman universe. I wouldn't know what's in continuity and out of continuity for the Sandman universe if you held a gun to my head. Um, but this is an interesting horror story. And when it comes to horror, I mean, I don't know that James Tynan can write a bad horror story. At least I've never read one. But uh, that's all I really have to, to say about it. it. It's interesting enough, um, but I wouldn't necessarily be missing anything if I if I didn't read it because uh, it's not my particular cup of tea. But I know you enjoyed it a lot more than me, Rocky. What'd you think? Yeah. Well, uh, I enjoyed it, and let me be absolutely clear: I couldn't I couldn't tell you anything about the Sandman universe. I, I've I. I'm somewhat familiar with it, but not enough that I would I would never pretend to school anybody about it. I I just first of all, all the covers on this series are incredible. Every single one, whether there's cover A, cover B, or the variant cover, all are amazing. And this is about this this guy named Corinthian. He's got like teeth. His eyes are basically teeth, and he basically he he kind of like he's. He sort of has some control over nightmares and he gives people nightmares, but somebody else, this agony and this, the agony and the ecstasy, these, these two, these two sort of, uh, uh, these two crazy mythological characters that, and again, I don't know a lot about them either. They're after, they want to kill this. They want to kill the sort of like the protagonist here. Who's this artist. And she's having these visions and these, these visions of, uh, these, <laughs> The, these visions of things which may or may not be true and they, they they need to kill her. And this Corinthian guy, he's trying to figure all this out in terms of what's going on, but he's, he's being a creature of the Sandman universe. Clearly something is up and I got, look, I actually, there's something really crazy about, about the art here. Uh, Sandro, Estherin, the artist, does a really good job. I love Patricio de Pelsi's uh, colors are great. James Tynier, I think this is reminiscent of. It reminds me a little bit, bit of something is killing the children. Is that is that he's? You can tell that in 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 his scripting of the characters. There's you know the protagonist here. She she's got sort of an antagonistic relationship with the Corinthian, and he. She's worried that she he wants to kill her, but he doesn't. Although he is a he's a crazy character. He's he's got teeth for eyes, and he's trying to get to the bottom of who's killing all these people that are uh, apparently are ostensibly utilizing his identity and doing so. And then you got this uh, the, these assassins called Ag the Agony and the Ecstasy that are hunting down all these people that are having these dreams. This is this is an interesting story. I'm not really sure mythologically how everything sort of maybe ties into the larger Sandman universe, but this is an interesting read. If if you you don't um, you're not going to be I'm not lost. I I do think things are a little bit out there, but I'll be honest with you. If you can understand a DC crisis, you can definitely understand the first two issues here of Nightmare Country. I think this is uh, this is an interesting read. It's I think it's accessible enough. I would encourage people to check this out. The Sandman universe is is so is so much fun. I think it's relatively accessible, and it's one of those gems that if you have an opportunity, this is only three ninety nine an issue. And quite frankly, the irony is that I think this is more accessible and easier to get into uh, than than a, frankly a lot of mainstream DC comics, and it's actually cheaper. 
So I would I would give this a, a I would I would recommend this and get people to check this out. This is actually uh, this week I thought was fairly weak for DC Comics. I actually enjoyed this Nightmare Country more than uh, I did most of the DC Comics, to be honest with you. Yeah. So up next, uh, and I don't even know if Rocky's still following along with this or not. Uh, but it's Future State Gotham. Believe it or not, we're up to issue 13. We've had this thing's been around over a year now. Um, so we, uh, we have Batman at war, whatever happened to Bruce Wayne. And it's interesting because we get the first six issues um, or first six pages, rather, are uh, pages from Future State Dark Detective number four that we get. Uh, they're Dan Mora art and we get them in black and white. and They look fantastic. And then we also get some Otto Schmidt art because we get pages 10 through 13 of this are were originally printed, presented in Future State Catwoman number one and two by Ram V, Otto Schmidt, and Tom Napolitano. So, you know, to Rocky's point earlier, we know that the things that have happened in the current day DC universe have precluded the Future State Gotham that we saw or, or Future State uh, reality that we saw come to pass. So it's never going to happen. So why does this book still exist? Uh, why are they still tying into that? possible future that's not going to happen i i don't know but at the end of the day the story's gotten good um so it's this is issue the stuff that's not reprints is written by dennis culver art is by jaffo uh covers by uh simone de mayo lettered by troy petrie we don't have any colors because i, I don't know why dc doesn't put colors on this thing uh because this art by jaffo is, isn't really that um isn't as manga influenced as some of the other artists that we've had, like Giano Milagianis and, you know, the Otto Schmidt art. It's a little saturated because, I mean, he does his own coloring. Um, so everything has kind of this grayish filter over it, but it still works. And the Dan Moore art uh, actually is fantastic in, in black and white. But in terms of the actual story we get here, Dick Grayson, after having taken the brain, which is basically venom, but for your mind and you know, as opposed to venom, uh, the venom serum, which is for your physical body uh he actually takes up the mantle of batman and again this ties into bruce wayne just being rescued from the train uh after the magistrate headquarters was blown up so uh i guess if you really loved that future state storyline um then you're getting a lot more context with you know what's going on here now we're finally going to move past the those uh, events of future state catwoman and future state gotham or future state dark detective and you'll know you know what what's to come next so it's sort of interesting to see hush in this future sort of uh dystopian world uh this fascist world trying to uh bring all the villains together and uh, at the end maybe the most important thing that happens in the issue and and this has been hinted hinted at before in other stories is we have damien show up this is a damien that's fully grown up but has spent the last few years in hell believing that Bruce Wayne, his father died and he was in hell searching for him. So now he shows up back in Gotham. He somehow coerced or bribed Grifter to bring him back. And he's Batman 666 as opposed to Batman 66, which is Adam West. Damian Wayne is Batman 666. Um, this much more demonic Batman and next issue, unfortunate son. So uh, it's probably going to be a Damian that I'm not going to care for much. Sounds like he's actually going to be the antagonist. What happens with Hush? What happens with Dick Grayson as a de facto Batman? I guess we'll all have to wait and see, but it's just too bad that this book started off so wonky um, that I, you know, if I, I wouldn't be reading this 
if uh, I hadn't gotten press previews for it, right? Like I would have read like the first issue or two and been done with it. Um, but I've stuck with it because again, press preview, and uh, it has gotten to be a, an interesting title. I am curious, but at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't matter. This this is a future that's not going to come to pass, and I still don't understand why it's in black and white. Doesn't need to be. So, anyway, any thoughts, Rocky? Uh, I don't. Uh, it. <laughs> I I want to be polite to this. I. There, there's probably a, a decent enough story here, but I just kind of largely ignore this. I just, I mean, I'm just not into this. Uh, I didn't even know. I, the entire premise of this story of, you know, what happened to Bruce Wayne, we already know what happened to Bruce Wayne in Future State, and then Future State never happened anyway. So why does this comic exist? And then when you said that, I didn't, I had no idea that this was duplicating pages that we already saw in Catwoman. I, I could, you know, I, I, those are the exact same pages. I did. I guess they are. I'd never really thought about it. So I'll, I guess I'll take your word for it. All the more reason why this comic shouldn't exist. Why? Why does this comic exist? If we, this is a duplication, I, I just, um, was this supposed to flush out more of the story? I guess if Future State was something that was compelling to all of us, maybe we'd all be jumping on this. But as you so aptly pointed out, the obvious, it's not in color. Why not? Uh, did they get lazy? Um, I mean, the, the cost of the comic book certainly, in my view, suggests that it ought to be in color. Uh, sorry, it's expensive comic book, and but it's not. And I don't know, like, again, I don't want to take away from the, the story. Maybe it's it's good enough, but it's an alternative tale. It's an Elseworlds tale. But at some point, people suggested it was, it, it, it was Future State. It was maybe going to be something that happened, but... Now does it really matter? Who cares? Who's buying this? I, I don't I don't know. Nobody's talking about this. Nobody's talking about it. I would be astonished if the sales for this are are high. Because I'm I'm just I'm stunned by this. I'm stunned by this. This is exactly this. This is wasted creative potential. Because Dennis Culver, let's be clear here. This isn't an insult to Dennis Culver. I think he held his own. I think at the beginning of Future State, I mean, there was some pretty bad storytelling there, but I think he's gotten better under the help with uh, Joshua Williamson. And I, I think that there's probably a decent story here, but I think it's just wasted on this Future State storyline, which frankly, I've got no interest in knowing how it ends. I'd rather have his talents focused elsewhere than on this title. And I say that with great respect to him. I mean no disrespect to the creatives on this. I really don't. I just, this was, unfortunately, this was a failure of concept, not a failure of the talent that's working on it. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's definitely a failure of concept uh, as opposed to, yeah, the, the talent. It just, it just doesn't work. So anyway, moving on, uh, I am Batman number nine. Uh, this is written by John Ridley. Uh, I thought this was a pretty solid issue. Uh, Christian Ducey and Steven Segovia handle the art duties. Uh, they share them, I should say. Rex Locus on colors, Troy Petrie on letters. Uh, we saw a uh, Jay Fox get his ass handed to him in a fight last issue. And uh, it was very shocking and very, it felt just very weird to see Batman get his butt kicked. But I love the fact that John Ridley is leaning into it. He's not shying away. He clearly did it on purpose to sort of shake up Jace Fox and it's working for me. So what do you think of this one, Rock? I really enjoyed this. This is probably my second uh, or tied with first for my favorite comic of the week. 
I, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, I've I continue to be impressed with what uh, Ridley John Ridley is doing with Jace with uh, with Jace Fox as uh, the the new Batman in New York City. I I'm really enjoying this. His struggles with Man Ray and particularly what I really love is I mean I love the character work here. I early on uh, I know that uh, when we talked earlier when when Jace was really first introduced to us really in future state i know that you you'd commented a few times uh yourself jace about the you weren't you weren't pulled in by the character work but uh with the fox family but i think it's really coming into its own here i like the relationship between him and tiffany and tammy and his father and his his mother is a member of city uh who's who's got some city influence in new york city the foxes moved to new york city to exert their influence but they also came with an expectation of creating a new life and uh, there's a relationship now between the Gotham, uh, between the New York City Police Department and Batman. Batman f- w- was humiliated and easily beaten by Man Ray last issue. He so he's got he's a little bit insecure about that. And this this issue opens up with 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 Jace's Batman sort of like beating the hell out of sort of like a, a loser, sort of a, an assassin, but maybe over overcompensating, like beating him almost. They uh, one of the lieutenants uh, she had to stop him from from beating from probably beating the guy to, to death or to serious injury. And it's clear that Jace is sort of overcompensating for the fact that he was so badly beaten by Man Ray. And so he's going through something. And I like that because this is, it's, it sounds cliche, but it's very important to these superhero comics with us readers. We, we, I like to know that my hero has flaws, that they're not perfect, you know, that, that they, that they fail. And that they got something to overcome and that they're, you know, even Batman, regardless of whether it's Bruce Wayne as Batman or Jace, it's nice to know that, uh, I mean, look, they're going to fail from time to time. How do you deal with failure? Tell me how to deal, tell me how you, show me how this person, this character deals with failure. I'll show you the man that he is. And this is Jace dealing with that and struggling with that while in the midst of all the political machinations of what's going on in New York City between the potential corruption in the New York City Police Department and the higher ups and and just just dealing with this this new Man Ray villain as a whole. And I particularly love the way that it ends here with Man Ray throwing a curveball. Man Ray apparently is an, is a villain that only kills corrupt officials. But at the end, he appears to be threatening the life of Mayor Villanueva. And Villanueva, we have heretofore come to believe, is actually a good mayor who's made some mistakes. Mayor Villanueva made the mistake of hiring a police commissioner that was a racist and a bigot, uh, despite and, and being unaware that he had done so. But suddenly now, Mayor Villanueva is on the hit list of the Man Ray. And what's disturbing about that is that Man Ray only goes after corrupt corrupt officials and so the suggestion that mayor villanova might also be corrupt is a problem uh is a potential problem for uh of course uh the new batman here but i i I love the character work here i'm really intrigued i'm pulled in by this this is i this is john ridley john ridley is these first issues of these first nine issues of i am batman are much better than than how John Ridley started off. He's coming into his own. This is a Batman that I'm interested in. And to be quite frank, I kind of like it. And I'm, I'm actually enjoying the character work here more than I'm enjoying the current Batman in Shadow War, if I'm being brutally honest. You know, maybe it's not he's not as popular Batman, but in terms of character work and storytelling, I'm enjoying this. 
Yeah, I I don't I don't disagree. Um, again, I, I think where this series really hit its stride is when they took Jace Fox out of Gotham City, get him out from under the shadow of Bruce Wayne. I still feel like they should be calling him something else, only because, and not even that he hasn't earned it, but it just he doesn't. He's so different than Bruce, right? He doesn't like. What is it that makes him Batman? Like other than he's wearing a costume that looks like a bat. There's not, you know, not really a reason, but I get it. Like there's this argument. Well, if you're going to, you want more African-American characters, you know, don't have them be derivatives of other characters. Just make them, you know, make them their own characters. Um, But then at the same time, you want to be able to say, okay, well, you know, uh, a diverse or a person of color or a diverse cast can still be a legacy character as well. So I see, I see both sides. I don't really have an answer. What I do have is a recommendation. Read this book because it's really damn good. <laughs> and uh, it still does have that soap opera feel, though, um, of this, you know, Fox family and, you know, billionaires and how they have money and whatever. And they're doing the best they can to, to help less privileged. So I do appreciate that. But a lot of character interaction, soap opera feel uh, exists as well. So. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Justice League versus Legion of Superheroes. This is written by Brian Michael Bendis. The art is by Scott Godlewski. Colors are by Ryan Cody. Letters by Dave Sharp. Um, this is an interesting dynamic from Bendis here. Uh, it's it's sort of Bendisy in its amount of dialogue. There's a ton of it here, but it it does go relatively quickly. It is re- a relatively fast paced issue. And we're halfway through, and I'm still not exactly sure what the heck's going on. It's clear the Great Darkness is doing some sort of time travel manipulation stuff. Uh, we've gotten some hints that the Gold Lantern is actually the, the cause of it, but we don't really know. Um, the art is a little messy for me, uh, but it's not even the line work that bothers me the most. It's the colors. The colors just seem off to me. I don't know if it's the press preview copy I have or whatnot, but it seems like the entire book has this like green tint to it that I really didn't care for um, at all. So ultimately, I'm not really a big fan of Bendis' version of the Legion of Superheroes. Um, his Justice League run I thought was all right. Uh, we're three issues into this, and I don't know where the heck it's going. I feel like everything that's happened so far could have fit in an issue and a half. Um, so yeah, I don't really have much more to say than that because I don't feel like anything's happening. You want to talk about a, a plotting plot, um, you know, not, I don't completely disagree with Rocky that Nightwing does move pretty slow at times. Um, but it's lightning com- uh, speed compared to how fast this story is moving. So I don't know. This is just not working for me. Do you feel differently, Rocky? Uh, no, I don't. I, I agree with you. Uh, and I'm, I'll, I'll just give a little bit more meat on, uh, uh, a little bit more flesh on the, on the bones that you sort of, uh, established there with your, uh, constructive criticism. And that is that, uh, straight up, uh, the fact that Batman is on the cover and not a single member of the Legion of Superheroes is on, uh, is on issue three of six tells you how far DC has fallen and how far the Legion of Superheroes has fallen. <laughs> I mean, really? Not a single member of the Legion of Superheroes is on this cover to issue three. I mean, I know that you need Batman to sell comics, DC, but really? Do you have no faith at all in the Legion of Superheroes? I'm sorry, but that's inexcusable. Even the cover B has Ultra Boy with Batman on it. This is the Legion of Superheroes in the Justice League. How about a little bit of 
ounce of creative effort and artistic effort put into drawing a cover that's worthy of a crossover between what used to be a, a, a team that that could outsell or at least meet the sales of X-Men. That was Legion of Superheroes. How far the mighty team has fallen that you need Batman on everything. Shame on them, really. At least project some degree of confidence. Now that's me a little bit on a, on a soapbox and a rant. But you're right about the story. Nothing happens here. This is literally, uh, we, we already knew that uh, we... we this is it in a nutshell. We've got, we got a um, the great darkness. Uh, uh, basically, a ball of great darkness has has shown itself in the 31st century and in the 21st century. The gold lantern finds himself in the 21st century, confronting this bundle of black darkness, and then the Justice League that went back that traveled to the the future to return Triplicate Girl or the two of the triplicate girl, two-thirds of the triplicate girls of the 31st century, they're in the 31st century dealing with the black darkness and they're trying to figure it out. And this whole issue is them just figuring it out. It's just dialogue. It is literally, sadly, just pointless dialogue of all the characters talking about what we all know is happening. That They're, ba they're basically talking about how they don't know what's going on and uh, we have this bundle of darkness. What do we do? Batman does his detective work in the 31st century by letting Computo do it. I mean, wouldn't that be... Batman isn't even Batman. If all you have to do is to be Batman in the future is, is ask your computer, Computo, uh, tell me who did this. Tell me who in the future has access to time travel technology. Oh, they figure it out. Oh, well, this, is, this references the Justice League annual where somebody, if you recall, those who read the Justice League annual... And this is another weakness, is that this reference is an annual that nobody probably read. <laughs> there was a Justice League annual where a time traveler called Epoch traveled to the 21st century and warned the Justice League about a future time traveler called uh, uh, the Gold Lantern and mentioned something about the Great Darkness. Okay, that's all well and good, but what of it? The problem is, all they've done is mention what's happened in the past. They haven't provided no actual clues. Uh, various members, we have Brainiac and Monel and Naomi lost at different parts of the time of the of the time space continuum. And so all they are there, the various members of the Justice League and the and the Legion of Superheroes are scattered across time. At one point, one of them meets they meet Commandy and in the future where naturally there's a Leviathan symbol. Well, Leviathan already is a joke in the in the in the present. So to have Leviathan He's a joke in the present. We're not. There's no gravitas in suggesting that Leviathan is a is a threat in the future of Commandy, ten thousand years hence. This is complete nonsense. There's there, there's nothing at stake here. We already know what's good. We already have. We've already experienced the death of the Justice League. We already know that the Great Darkness is a big deal. This takes away from the threat of the Great Darkness because because <laughs> this Great Darkness is a joke. It just appears in two different time periods and that's it. So this 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 actually takes away, for, for me, this takes away from how serious I'm supposed to take the great darkness. I realize that continuity is wonky in the DC universe. Maybe this entire series should have come out before Dark Crisis, before the death of the Justice League. But this is exactly why, frankly, I don't think this series should exist. How does this help us? Like, what does this have to do with the great darkness? In fact, let me ask this question. The Great Darkness Saga, Paul Levitt's classic Legion of Superheroes storyline, that Great Darkness saga, 
Does that have anything to do with this great darkness? Furthermore, does it have anything to do with the great darkness that is taking place uh, in I dark will, prices? I always, made, I always made the assumption that, yeah, that yeah, that great darkness is the same great darkness. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I hope you're right. I, I, I'm assuming that too, but it feels less here because the biggest joke, we're three issues into this crossover and we get more superfluous dialogue and and we, we have this bundle of great darkness a ball of great darkness <laughs> that is just sitting there doing nothing while a bunch of superheroes talk about it. Literally, that's all they're doing is talking about it. This is, this is, there's nothing interesting about this. I can't recommend this title. I can't. This is a waste of paper. Like, and, and what's going to happen? Like, I don't even know what's what's going to happen here. Like, I, where is this headed toward? I, I'm so disappointed in this. And we're, we're learning nothing about the Justice League, nothing about any a Legion of Superheroes, nothing about the future. We don't even have character work. We, we, we learn nothing about the Great Darkness. We just got a bunch of superfluous dialogue. This is, uh, I, I hate to say this, but this is, this is a huge miss for me. I can't recommend this to anybody. And I don't see this going anywhere. I don't see the reason to pick this up. We know it's a pointless title to get. Also, no one's reading it. No one's talking about it. And... I'm sorry, but I, I, somebody tell me in the chat or somebody tell me in the comments below, what are we supposed to look forward to? What, what's, what's the big bad here? I, I don't, I don't get it. Why does this comic exist other than to just, I don't know, uh, hoping that just these two teams are supposed to get people to, to buy it. This is, this is, uh, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but when you got Naomi and Black Adam, you know, <laughs> again contributing superfluous dialogue to this and batman i mean nothing is happening here nothing is happening and the gold lantern he's blind he's visually blind so what that was the big revelation last issue that was the big revelation we got the origin of the gold lantern oh he's so he's visually blind so what so i mean it's depressing enough that in the future there's no gold lanterns instead we have this visually blind one person who's a gold lantern and there's no other lanterns. Is that supposed to be exciting, DC? Are, are you glad you, you brought Brendis over from Marvel for that? Thanks. And yet you aged up. I mean, yet another reason, I'm baffled by this. What are we supposed to find interesting? Leviathan, failure. Aging up John Kent, failure. Gold lantern, fa- failure. Show me something to get excited about in this title. That's what this was supposed to be. So far, this is a, a goose egg for me. I, and I'm sorry to say, I just... I don't know. Tell me, tell me something, Jace, to get excited about in this series. I, I can't. I can't. I don't. I don't understand it either. I mean, I don't. I don't dislike it as much as you. It's uh, to me, it's sort of <laughs> innocuous. You know, it's not. Uh, it it's not impactful or important enough to to say, oh, it's you know ruining you know Dark Crisis or it's ruining Justice League or Legion of Superheroes. Whatever. I just don't. I just don't care. Uh, like I said, I, I never was a fan of Bendis's um, Legion, you know, version. Um, so yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like when I think, when I think back to, I mean, granted, it's not, uh, Legion, it's not Justice League crushing over with Legion of Superheroes, but you, did you ever read the Jeff Johns Superman and Legion of Superheroes when it was just Superman that, that crossed over? Sure. Oh my God, that's yeah. one of my favorite, that has yeah. my, like my, one of my, awesome. if not, if not my favorite, one of my favorite Superman moments of all time. In fact, that is part of a, a wallpaper I created for my uh, desktop on my computer, that moment where he almost hits the ground and gets his powers back and what have you like, that is so great. 
So when you hear, oh, Justice League's going to cross over with Legion of Superheroes, you get excited. And then we get this. And it's not that it's, you know, like I said, offensive or, or horribly bad or anything. It's just, it's it's so meh because nothing happens. And there's no, and because we don't know really what's going on. We haven't, Bendis hasn't laid it out for us. There's no stakes. There's no consequences. We, I don't know why I'm supposed to care. Now at the end, it may be that he pulls it all together. And then at the end I go, okay, well that made sense. That wasn't as bad as I thought, but who wants to read a story where you, you invest time in it. And then at the end, it may or may not be good. Like if you have something interesting, put it at the beginning, hook me in because from the beginning I've been like, I'm not sure what's going on. I don't really care much for the art or the color. So what reason, like you said, what reason, give us a reason to, to care about this book. And, and unfortunately I don't have one. So uh, anyway, let's move on. Um, here's another book that didn't work for me now, and your mileage may vary uh, because I guess for some people, this could be a whole heck of a lot of fun. But for me, I'm just, I, it's just not for me. Um, and it's the Jurassic League. It's uh, Daniel Warren Johnson and Juan Gideon. Are, they, they're credited as presenting the, the Jurassic League. It's written by both of them. Art is by Juan Gideon. Colors are by Mike Spicer. Letters are by Farron Delgado. The, to me, the, the, the best part about this book is the names of the locations. The outskirts of Growltham City. Instead of Gotham, it's Growltham. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then we see uh, later we see Madragopolis because uh, <laughs> they're all dinosaurs. Um, and we've got uh, Black Matasaurus and Superman is Supersaurus. Um, the Wonder Dawn, because she's like a, a pterodon, I guess, for Wonder Woman. That doesn't quite roll off the tongue as well. Um, and the uh, what is it? What was it? The uh, Joker Zerd instead of Lizard. Uh, yeah, Joker's there. Yeah, that doesn't quite roll off the tongue either. Um, but yeah, I know a lot of people are going to be excited about this Justice League flipped over into a prehistoric version. But yeah, this is not for me. Although I will say, there's a Walt Simonson cover, and if I do buy, if I do buy an issue of this, which I'm not planning on, I would probably probably grab the Walt Simonson because it's Walt Simonson. Um, but I don't know. This seems like maybe it's right up your alley, Rocky. Did you uh, did you enjoy it? I'm, I'm, well, I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure why you would say it's right up my alley, but maybe it's because I, I am a huge, I want to give a shout out to Daniel Warren Johnson's Wonder Woman Dead Earth. Yeah, that's, His that's art's why. fantastic. And for, and the art in, in, in Wonder Woman Dead Earth is fantastic, but for the life of me, why Daniel Warren Johnson is not the main artist on this, he's just the writer. That just blows me away. Uh, no disrespect to the, uh, the actual artist on this title, who is Gideon. Uh, I mean, his art is his art is very very similar to Daniel Warren Johnson. Don't get me wrong, but it's not as good as Daniel Warren Johnson. Uh, it's sort of like Adrian Mello trying to copy uh, Joelle Jones in the pages of uh, Wonder Girl. It's just you know you know duplicated but not imitated, or imitated but not duplicated. You know the phrase. But in any event, uh, I don't. Unfortunately, this is a comic book that I think would I would expect to see in Mad Magazine, uh, to be honest. Uh, we're all out of ideas uh, for the mainstream lines, so why don't we just make everybody a dinosaur and change the name of their cities and make everybody sound like a dinosaur? Yeah, I'm sure the grade one class will love that. Uh, that's what this feels like to me. Uh, there's nothing about this story that is different. 
Uh, this is one-dimensional storytelling, uh, which I, I would expect. It's about dinosaurs, right? Um, why does this come? Another thing, I, the Jurassic League, I guess, are you hoping to attract the Jurassic World crowd after they go and watch the mo Jurassic mo uh, dinosaur movie? They're going to run to their comic shop to buy the Jurassic League? I, I, I don't get it. Look, I know that we're supposed to have fun with this. And and yes, this this I guess this is a fun comic, I guess. But what's really odd about this is this is a dinosaur. Uh, there's a planet called Krypton, or it's probably Kryptonosaurus or something, and it sends a dinosaur Kal-El to Earth. I mean, and then and then I guess that's kind of cute. And we got a Batman dinosaur and a Wonder Woman dinosaur and a Bat Superman dinosaur and an Aquaman dinosaur. And it's kind of like, it's kind of funny and cute until they start biting limbs off, biting limbs off. And there's gross violence. And again, again, as an adult, sure, I can have fun with this. <laughs> Let's make no mistake. This is a violent comic book. You can have fun with it. I honestly, I mean, I joke about this a lot, but I mean, I do drink occasionally when I read comics. This is a comic that I absolutely want to drink while I'm reading because I'll have a great time sipping my whiskey, sipping an old-fashioned while reading a dinosaur comic. This this is it. This is the one I want to read. But I got to be brutally honest here. Of all the selection you have for DC Comics, I, I just, Jurassic League is, I'm, I'm a little bit lost because this is not, sophisticated storytelling. I mean, this is, I mean, this, this really, really isn't. I mean, this is going to be the formative story, I'm guessing, of how these dinosaurs who are analogs of Justice League characters come together to fight a legion of doomed dinosaurs, I'm, I'm guessing, right? <laughs> and that's, that's all well and good, but what a very odd, eclectic choice for a story. But look, I'm not going to, the story itself, it, it's, the art is the art is visceral. It's colorful. I love the colors. They pop off the page. There's blood. There's guts. The violence. The the, the actual fight choreography. As as the as the bat as the batosaurus fights the jokersaurus. I mean, is actually really good. Uh, Supersaurus and 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 the and the fact of Wonder Woman's dinosaur analog there with with the imagery of her looking at a. Uh, looking at uh, Ares, an Ares dinosaur that she killed and that he presumably might come back to life at some point. There's, there's clearly a mythology here that writer Daniel Warren Johnson is, is building upon. So I don't want to take away from that. I really don't. I just, I'm so taken aback by this choice. I love Daniel Warren Johnson's Wonder Woman, Dead Earth. I wanted him to write the, the actual characters of, I wanted him to write other DC characters with his eclectic, uh, visceral, very stylistic, artistic sensibilities. I wanted that. I didn't want it to be dinosaurs. Uh, but having said that, I'd be I'd be lying if I said I wasn't kind of curiously intrigued in terms of where this might be going because maybe it's going to be kind of cool because I, I love the art. But it's not Daniel Warren's art, but it's Gideon's uh, very similar style to Daniel Warren Johnson. It it does it does captivate me and the and the colors are really great and I'm not, I'm not sure is it the same artist doing the coloring is Gideon doing the coloring or that's that Spicer yeah Mike Spicer uh, does the colors yeah uh yeah art by Juan Gideon and it doesn't say anything about oh, colors by Mike Spicer uh yeah so you know look I'm intrigued by it but I can't help but thinking that this is sort of a 
these are guys sitting around a table getting drunk saying, hey, why don't we throw in a, why don't we do a Justice League book with dinosaurs? And they're, and, <laughs> hey, DC's actually paying us to do this because there's a merger and they don't know what they just approved. I mean, that's what I feel happened. <laughs> but, <laughs> but hey, you know, hey, I, I might even pick this up just for shits and giggles, you know, because I, <laughs> but I don't know, man. It's, it's different, but it's, I, I don't even know. Yeah, I don't. It, it feels like this would be aimed at like a ten-year-old boy, right? Like, yeah, this could be a whole heck of a lot of fun for somebody like that. But, but you're right. Then when you actually read it, it's brutally violent, which you would expect from a Daniel Warren Johnson comic. So, yeah. I'm not. I'm just. I'm not sure. It's like they they tried to have their cake and eat it too, and they didn't. They they could have made it, you know, a more sophisticated story, and it would have appealed to an older audience. I think. Um, even though they're dinosaurs, you know, it could have been, you know, don't lean so far into the, it make the, don't make the art quite so cartoony, you know, make it a little more detailed, um, and, and make it, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be dinosaurs, lizard people kind of thing, you know, and, and it would be a little more mature and a little more, uh, of a complicated story and not so simplistic and it would appeal to an older audience or you dial down on the blood and guts and you, you have a, a great entry point to, to bring kids in. It's not either. So, yeah, I'm struggling. It's like, okay, this is for 14 years, specifically for 14 year olds whose parents are okay with them reading super violent stuff. And that's it. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I question, I question the decision. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, up next, we have Batman Urban Legends number 15. Four stories here Batman and Zatanna Bound to Our Will, part five of six, which is written by Vida Ayala. Niccolo Samegia is the artist. Nick Falardi on colors. Steve Wands on letters. There's a one-shot Batman and Plastic Man story called Bending the Rules, written by Joey Esposito. Jason Howard does the art and colors. Pat Brosso on letters. Second part of three for Birds of Prey in Memory Lane, written by Shay Grayson. Serge Acuna does the art. Yvonne Placenti on colors. Josh Reed on letters. And Ace the Bat-Hound in Hounded, part five of six, written by Mark Russell, Carl Mostert, is the artist Trish Mulvihill on colors, Steve Wands on letters. I'm just going to go through these super fast. Um, this Batman Zatanna story by Vita Ayala, the strength of it continues to be the relationship that Vita Ayala is giving uh, Batman and Zatanna. Hints of this possible romance. I love the voice that they are giving to both Bruce Wayne and to Zatanna in a way, kind of this star-crossed relationship, which I think is really interesting. Because I've never been a fan of the Batman Selena Kyle or Bruce Wayne Selena Kyle romance. It just it doesn't work for me. I much rather see Batman Zatanna. I, I guess the kids would say I sh I ship them. Um, so this is interesting. I like what Vita is doing. I think they are a really talented writer, and I'd love to see them do more uh, main stuff in the DCU. Plus, just to add to the romantic relationship triangle here, we've got John Constantine who actually has had a romantic relationship with Satana in the past. And so, uh, so that's pretty interesting. If I have any nitpick about the, uh, the story, it doesn't feel like it needed six parts um, because this one moved along really, really slow. And I really feel like it, we could probably could have finished up already by now, but again, it's a minor nitpick. I am enjoying the story. So I don't mind that it's, it's taking its time. Uh, the Nicola Semeja art. It's okay. Um, it's a little stylized, not my favorite, style um but it's working for the story especially because it's kind of fluid and that uh, art style type of art style usually works for for magical stories 
Uh, the Batman Plastic Man story was just kind of meh. Um, a theme we've seen many times. Plastic Man, who may, you may or may not know, used to be a villain. Eel O'Brien, he started out as. He teams up with Batman to Batman's um, chagrin because Batman's chasing this guy who agreed to testify against a mob boss. Happens to be somebody uh, that Plastic Man knows, but the guy's scared, and so he runs away, and Plastic Man's trying to convince Batman, hey, not every villain or not every criminal's a coward. Give him a chance, blah, blah, blah. It felt very, very heavy-handed, so didn't. it was just okay. It wasn't bad. wasn't great. The art was decent. Uh, the memory lane story. I'm I'm really enjoying this version of the uh, Birds of Prey. They certainly don't get along. We're talking about Ghost and Talia and uh, Katana and, and Miracle Molly. They're they're such different. Four different personalities all shoved together for this mission. They all have different values and and different ways of getting the job done. Like it it makes for a really interesting dynamic. And I I'd, I'd I'd like to read m- more of it. That being said, it does feel like uh, the pacing is a little hodgepodge, probably because they're cramming it into only three parts, uh, which makes for breakneck pacing and it makes the story feel a little bit choppy. Uh, but I am enjoying it. And the Serge Kuna art is is really strong. Uh, and then the final story, the Carl Mostert story, man, it, he's, uh, or Mark Russell story, I guess, with Mostert art. He's really doing a lot in only, in only six issues. Um, yes, it's all having to do with Ace the Bathound and his animal companions, but Mark Russell is really uh, exploring a lot of different big ideas in this um, in this story. Uh, this one having to do with loyalty, and we see that both amongst the, the Batman villains who are bidding on Batman with the Joker there and whatnot, and the loyalty of the animals. And in a way, Mark Russell is almost saying, "Look, these animals are more loyal and have you know more." sympathy and empathy toward each other than these bat villains do you know I, I found that to be really interesting and the most dirt art is really really strong so um probably the best uh bat one of the best batman urban legend stories we've had throughout um it's up there in my top three with the grifter story we got right at the beginning and the red hood story that we got red hood being by zadarsky and the grifter story by matthew rosenberg uh this mark russell stories were right up there um but not to sell the uh, the Birds of Prey story short because that's a really strong one too. But uh, anyway, Rocky, what are your thoughts on uh, on these stories? Uh, well, my, my favorite story is the Bear Witness one, uh, p- part five of uh, six, uh, the Mark Russell one uh, with with this, which is actually a formative. It's actually it, it's like Batman or it's like Bathound or Ace the Bathound year one. It's like that's what it feels like to me. It's like it's the it's like it's the it's the origin story of Ace, and that's what I and I think it's very well done. I, I do think it's a little bit. I, I think it's uh, probably probably too long. It's too decompressed. Uh, six parts. I, I don't think it needs to be that long, but but it's it's well done. Uh, the, the bear witness story ends with Batman ultimately having to face off against one of the uh, b- the bears. Um, uh, one of the animals, but it's it's an animal based. The actual the the to view one of Batman's adventures almost through the eyes of the animals that are involved in the adventures. I thought Mark Russell did a good has has done a good job of that. It's not over yet. It's only part five or six here. I thought that was very well done, and that is my favorite. Now, um, I have mixed feelings about the 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 Lady Shiva. I love the idea of. 
of birds of prey consisting of Lady Shiva, uh, Katana, uh, Miracle Molly, and this this other character who I forget. I mean, I, I think that it's got potential. It does feel like they're thrown together. It doesn't. I still don't buy the reason why they're. It's still not justified enough to me why these why Lady Shiva would ever want to work with Katana. That's still not clear to me, even after reading this chapter. I think that there's a there's some. I think there's some wonkiness. I th- I think these characters were thrown together uh, because I actually think that probably some writers were drinking and they lost a bet and they said, well, throw these characters together and let's make a story out of it. And somebody says, you can't do that. And the other one said, well, just hold my beer. And then we got this story out of it and that's what we're getting. But I'm glad because I love Lady Shiva. Uh, I think they're missing her character a little bit here. I think she's more mysterious and she's not as quite as foolish as she's being portrayed here. But I like the I like the drama between Lady Shiva and Katana. I like that tension. They need to build on that. And so I, I'm going with it. I like Miracle Molly as a character. I I think these characters have potential. I think they'll be better explored through uh dare I say, maybe just a, a different approach to the writing, to be very honest. As far as um, the Plastic Man story, uh, it was meh. It was all right. I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to say much about it. I will say that with respect to the, the, the Virael story with uh, Batman and, and Z- Zatanna, I think uh, I liked it at first. It's, I think it's gone a little bit of a awry. The fact that, that Katana... Apparently, Z- Zatanna, Zatanna and Batman have a word called, re- and the word is reviver. reviver. They have this this word where they say to each other, and the minute they say this word, they're gonna they're gonna ha- you know they they need to help each other uh, if they say this word to each other based upon their younger relationship. And and Batman had loved Zatanna at one point, and Zatanna maybe had loved him, and and they both for whatever reason you know they never communicated their feelings adequately enough i can buy all that for um i can buy that with batman's character what i can't buy with batman's character is that everybody knows that if you want batman's help you just have to ask for it you don't need a secret word i mean you, you don't you don't need to have sexual feelings to batman or or get him aroused to get him to help you that's not what he does uh yeah, that, you don't need that, to be hot and drawn by yeah, Adam Hughes. Exactly. That, that whole thing just never that that's just not that's Fidel and not understanding Batman, to be quite blunt. I that just never that never made sense. It would have made more sense had she tied it into more of the, the magical elements or the word was tied into the actual plot itself as opposed to the, the, this made up character, which is nonsense that I don't buy. So it, it it's fallen short for me. So it's, it's lost me. Plus it's dragged on. It's not over yet. It's too long. Uh, the strong points of Vidal's story is, is, is with uh, John Constantine and Batman and Satana. Those are strong points, but it's lost its focus now and it's kind of, kind of gone awry. And uh, just as, as a general criticism of the Batman urban legends is that a lot of these stories I'm not, if you're not a fan of one of the stories, you're forced to buy an extra expensive comic book that has a bunch of, most stories, it feels like an anthology all the time. And most of the time, the vast majority of the stories in it, I'm not a fan of, but I got to buy it for just one story. And so I don't end up buying it at all. And uh, now maybe I will be inclined to buy it because I'm a, I'm a collector and I'm a completionist, but I, I fear that a lot of people... Well, I can look at the sales, uh, which we don't know what the sales are, but I really fear that this tactic of throwing all these very long 26, 25 page stories, 
cramming it into Batman Urban Legends uh, that are untested stories. I don't know. I question. I don't think it's it's working. I don't. I, I question whether or not it's, it's working for DC. I, I suspect it isn't. But I stand to be corrected on that. I hope I'm wrong. I want comics to succeed, especially DC comics. But I question it sometimes. But in any event, it is what it is. Yeah. So I do as well. But here's the thing: like we have, I've, t- I personally have talked a lot of times in the past. Why doesn't American comics ever embrace the anthology, uh, you know, model like like Asian com, you know, comics do, where you get you know, one, four different stories in, in one uh, volume and whatever. Yeah. I mean, so I can't, I can't have it both ways either. They, they do it and it works. They do it or it doesn't work or they don't do it at all. Um, those are kind of the, you know, the, the options. And so even though there are going to be times where, yeah, maybe like knowing these stories, there's not none of these stories that are, uh, that I'm enjoying enough that I would be buying this, uh, that's just how it is. But in the beginning we had two amazing stories and, and I thought that the, uh, the outsiders one was pretty solid as well. So, you know, three out of the four were really, really good and I was buying it. So yeah, I guess, you know, it's going to be one of those things where maybe the sales go up and down a little bit based on, on, you know, what stories are, are being written there. Um, I think of DC smart, what they would do is they would use this to introduce new characters because then you're going to have the spec guys that are already buying it. Right. So, if stories like what James, like James Tynan's, uh, um, what was it called? Fear State? Yeah. I don't know. The one before that, jo- the Joker War, where he introduced all right. the, yeah, where he introduced uh, the Clown Hunter and uh, uh, Ghost Maker and, and Punchline and all that. Like, could you imagine if that was in th- this with the sales, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> you, I imagine you probably would have had, if the other stories sucked, people would have been complaining, but you could have done it where, they all tied into Joker War. So anyway, yeah. let's move on. Uh, Batgirls number six, written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad. Jorge Corona on art. Sarah Stern on colors. Becca Carey on letters. One Way or Another, part six of six. This brings the first arc of Batgirls to a close. What do you think, Rock? Uh, well, I'm, uh, I guess it, it ended decent enough. It ended decent enough. I... I stand by my earlier comments in the previous five, five issues that, uh, I mean, you know, whether we like it or not, this is the new characterization of spoiler and uh, Cassandra Kane, Batgirl. I'm, I'm not a fan of either of these interpret the interpretations of these characters. These are diametrically different characters than what we've come to know. Uh, contrary to what has been said by certain commentators online, this is not my Cassandra Kane. It's it's not even the spoiler that I know, but I guess she's Batgirl. They're all Batgirls now. Uh, I'm not a big fan of this iteration of the characters. But having said that, is the story okay? Is uh, the is the art uh, does the art fit the story? Sure. It's uh, it's a story on the surface. It seems to be uh, artistically. It looks like it's written for kids. It's drawn for children. And then yet, when you get into the storyline, we're dealing with a very adult adult-like storylines here on this final issue we have charles dante the spellbinder who is the one-time uh boyfriend at one point or quasi undefined relationship with barbara gordon boyfriend of barbara gordon uh he is discovered and barbara gordon basically takes him out uh he is he basically is someone who was uh, he was manipulating or sort of working with tutor in order to uh, manipulate the minds of people that would uh, uh, support his art. Uh, 
and then he would send them art and then through the through fear gas combined through his his art would sort of manipulate and try to control minds of various people in Gotham uh, and that was through the fierce through fear state and through a, a form of the of scarecrow's fear toxin that's what Charles Dante was doing and ultimately he is stopped here by the bat girls and there's a you know there uh, uh, full credit here to uh, artist um, uh, Jose Corona. Uh, I think I think there's a lot there's a lot of great action scenes here. A lot of great action scenes. I you you've noted before about the the, the sort of the ink blots on the page. Uh, it's it doesn't bother me so much. I know that it's, uh, you're more critical of that, but I think uh, I, I think that the colors pop off the page artistically. I, I do think that this is a, a style. This is a style that that fits that fits and, and it works. And if, if if you don't like if you don't like the style, you don't like the style. But uh, I think that I can see this having an audience. I can see this having an audience. I actually think that the the characterizations of Batgirl and uh, Stephanie Brown they have grown on me. Even though I'm not a fan of their, their it, the fact is is that I can. It was consistent throughout from issues one through six here, and. I, um, you know, it's, 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 it's okay. It's okay. I, again, I'm not, I'm not, I would rather them, I would rather have an older Cassandra Kane that was more mature than this, uh, that was struggling with her identity, struggling maybe with learning the language, uh, being more, maybe closer on the autistic side, learning, uh, being in, in two drowned in the language of motion, who's struggling with her social skills, uh, as opposed to this bat girl, this Cassandra Kane, who is, uh, seems to be flippant, seems to be like a really good friend, seems to be just like another, just, just like another bat martial artist, nothing special about her at all. She's just a really good fighter. Uh, dealing with Stephanie Brown has got an inferiority complex. who wants to learn how to fight better and be a good fighter as her, as her, fellow bat girl um this this doesn't really this doesn't line up i don't know why barbara gordon's here I, barbara gordon is apparently living in two places at once she's living in a shithole apartment in gotham with two uh down and out bat girls and then she's also apparently living with a a, a billionaire uh dick grayson in bloodhaven and um presumably nightwing issue 100 everyone's talking about that being a wedding between barbara gordon and nightwing uh, I wonder how she's going to break the news to these two bat girls. Uh, but I, <laughs> I'd be facetious here, but I, I think this is an interesting experiment that I, I hope is not built upon. I, I, is this, this isn't a limited series. I would prefer it to be that. I wish this would end. I'd rather have this end. Uh, I don't think the sales are very high on this, but, um, Hey, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But overall, this was adequate. It was mediocre. It was a nice, maybe an interesting experiment. But I'm, you know, uh, I have I've I've not been physically buying this myself. I I stopped at issue two because it's not it's not it's not my cup of tea. But uh, you know, maybe it has an audience. It's just it's clearly not written for me. Yeah, I I tend to agree. And, and here's the thing: I don't know that it knows what it wants to be. I mean, I I actually talked to some of the creators of the, on the book recently and I talked about Jorge Corona's art and how it gives the impression of being for kids. But like you said, these are, these are adult themes and that's been a challenge. So I don't know. I think this yeah. is a, a, was just a mistake and in 
choosing the creative team, putting Hori Corona on this book. And I, I get trying to make the art more gritty and visceral by using that ink spatter, but uh, it still looks like juvenile art. That's yeah. not to say it's bad art because that, that art worked really well on, um, on middle West. It worked really well on the me you love in the dark. So I don't know it, the story itself feels like it wants to be juvenile, but is this just like a, this is like a story that has multiple personality disorder or DID, I guess it's called now dissociative identity disorder. doesn't know what it wants to be. doesn't want to be this mature bat girl book. doesn't want to be a book for kids. doesn't want to be, you know, what does it want to be? Uh, and let's take two established other Batgirls, Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown, and sort of de-age them and have them act younger and less yeah. experienced and less mature than they ever have. Like, I'd rather they would have brought in new characters, or you could have brought in one new yeah. character and you could have brought in Bluebird, uh, you know, or, or somebody else. Because the Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Kane act like 11 or 12-year-olds here, yeah. you know? That's their kind I, of I, And that they're failure. Old enough, they're old enough to drive. Yeah. Yeah, and that failure is something that should have been recognized before, right at the concept stage. Like the minute you saw, like I mean, they, they should have known this. And this is my frustration with, you know, it's it's part of a larger topic that I I don't want to digress, but it just feels like, you know, this is this these are the types of decision making that should not be taking place uh, in a professional organization that is familiar with the continuity of characters. This was a mistake from concept. And I, I, I'm sorry, but it just was. And if, and if you want to proceed with a series like this, it should be an Elseworlds tale or a limited series or a DC animated series or something, but not well, in the mainstream. Push, universe. I'm going to push back on that a little bit, Rocky. I don't know that this was a, a failure of concept because I think the concept is solid. Batgirl mentoring two other young girls. The the mistake is in the, the the casting, if you will, choosing Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Kane. That's what doesn't work. The concept I think is solid. Let's take Batgirl. Let's take Barbara Gordon. Let's take her out of the costume. Let's put her back in her Oracle uh, persona and have her mentor a couple of young girls that are inspired by Batgirl. I mean, let's take some younger girls that are inspired by Batgirl, Barbara Gordon, that are inspired by Stephanie Brown, Batgirl, that are inspired by Cassandra Kane, Batgirl. Like those different iterations, take young girls, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old girls. There's, I think there's a lot of interesting story ideas there, but you can't do it with a 20. And in my mind, Cassandra Kane's around 24 and Stephanie Brown's around 16, 17. They don't act that age here. So I, I think you needed new characters, you needed young, young girls and, and make this a kid's book. Uh, or, a, you know, a book aimed more at a younger audience. I think that works. I think as a concept that works. So yeah, I think as a, a good concept, point. yeah, it, it, maybe not a failure of concept, but it's just a failure in, in casting. You just pick the wrong characters. So yeah. anyway. And, and, and the other thing too is that, I mean, and, and this is bearing in mind that when they know that Barbara Gordon, when they know that they want, perhaps want to do something with Barbara Gordon in the pages of Nightwing, it's it's very hard to reconcile you know, her running back and forth between <laughs> Bloodhaven and Gotham in my mind. But I guess you can stretch it to that effect. But it was just to me, there was just two. It's another example of DC having two very different conceptions of a character and trying to shoehorn them in under the guise of, oh, it's an omniverse. Everything matters. And I, I don't know. This feels like a totally different Barbara Gordon to me than the one we're seeing in Nightwing. And that's probably magnified because of the artistic difference, I admit, which is maybe a little bit unfair because there's different styles of art. But 
I just, I, I personally am, I am a continuity buff. That's my bias. I like, I like a little bit more consistency on the, on the, between story. Yeah, that, that doesn't bother me. I mean, there were any number of decades where, you know, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman were in the pages of Justice League, sometimes off planet and they were still in their regular books. So that, that one doesn't, doesn't bug me that much. So anyway, moving on, uh, we have Naomi season two, number three. This is from writers, Brian Michael Bennis and David F. Walker. Jamal Campbell does the art, Wes Abbott on letters. Um, it's clear in this season two that Bendis is really leaning into the family dynamic of Naomi, how young and inexperienced she is. I'll go back to something Rocky and I said at the very beginning of this volume two, as much as I'm enjoying it. The problem is it took so long to come out, right? Naomi has been around for so long and in the pages of Justice League, it seems like she's so far beyond where she is here. Part of the the dynamic and, and struggle between her and her parents, especially her, her and her father, is how inexperienced she is, how she's putting herself in danger, blah, blah, blah. This is a conversation that should have happened months and months ago. And I get it. This, this you know, in terms of continuity, this is supposed to take place, you know, right on the heels of, of volume one. But pu- in publishing time, obviously, it makes it an issue. So setting that aside, I do enjoy the characterization. It does feel somewhat realistic in terms of even though her father is a Thanagarian uh, and has, you know, been in, in space and is trained for battle and whatnot he does have fears that his young daughter who is also not of this world uh could be hurt in battle so i I do enjoy the uh the characterization i enjoy the story it does seem like naomi sort of earning her stripes earning her way into the justice league but again this all should have happened before she ever got into the justice league um though just really a failure of timing which i'm sure it had to do with everybody's schedule that this took so long to come out after the the first issue, but the art by Jamal Campbell is absolutely fantastic as his art tends to be, uh, especially him doing his own color work, a lot of oranges and pinks and bright blues. So that's all working for me um, on a lot of levels. And I love the cliffhanger ending. Uh, we know in the first volume that uh, Naomi befriended another Thanagarian D uh, who actually was sent to retrieve her father and instead chose to make a life on earth as well. Uh, he shows back up here at the end, clearly having been through the ringer because uh, she wasn't even sure where he had disappeared to. So a bit of a cliffhanger ending and uh, it works because there's a lot of times where Bendis doesn't give us enough in the writing to care when there's a cliffhanger ending. But I, uh, again, I'll, I'll credit his writing partner, David F. Walker, for probably helping Bendis not to fall into um, some of his bad habits that he that he falls into. And I don't know what it is about working on DC properties where he falls into those bad habits. Cause when he did joy operation over at dark horse, that was absolutely fantastic. So I know he still has it in him. Um, but I don't know some of these DC stories, uh, I feel like uh, some, sometimes it feels like honestly there's pages missing. <laughs> I don't feel like that with Naomi. I, I'm really enjoying it. So what'd you think? Uh, well, I want, I want, I will give uh, Bendis a shout out for Joy Operations. I'm behind in my review. I've reviewed issues, I believe issues one through three, and if if issue four has come out, I haven't reviewed it yet. I've, I'm a little behind on my comics, but I want to give him a shout out for that. I, I find I, I remain baffled by his work on Naomi here because I, I do, I, I'm not enjoying this Naomi as much as, as, as you are, and, and I, I think. I think I've identified exactly why this feels like he's writing for a screenplay, not a comic book. Uh, the The amount of di- the amount of these scenes here that are taking place and throughout issue two, it's 
it's just wasted scenes that that don't serve a narrative. Why is Hawk Girl Kendra showing up at her parents' place? What was the point of that? It served no narrative purpose. In fact, and when it does, she's she's like Bendis. First of all, he gets it wrong that Kendra Stanagarian in the first place. But let's go with that because Bendis and Bendis is writing. He thinks she's Stanagarian. Okay, fine. Let's go with that. I can't believe that there isn't more harsh words between Kendra and the fa- her, and Naomi's father, who's Ranian. They, they, these are lifelong enemies. Uh, the, the the dialogue it didn't it didn't stand up to scrutiny. It 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 didn't. It was just these were pointless scenes that and this type of pointless scene. When you watch, you know, my wife walks my 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 wife watches a lot of Young and the Restless, and there's always pointless scenes where there's abs. I mean, ninety percent of a soap opera is totally useless scenes where they will talk about what they ate for lunch. You know, pointless scenes, but you you need to drag it out because it's a soap opera. Uh, it's literally a soap opera. You don't do that when you're paying money for a comic book. I want to know what what the substance is here. That the, this these pointless exchanges of dialogue between the parents talking about their daughter. This isn't this isn't you know this is not Naomi. This is not CW Naomi. Okay, I don't need to know what the parents think of Naomi. Get to the plot already. I mean, I've already, I I know Naomi feels new. I know she's just getting into her powers. That's been established ad nauseum already. Get her to to fighting Zimbardo already or uh, get her off to the next world already. Move this plot forward already. This is unbelievable. Her discussion with Cyborg, she's still, she's starstruck by Cyborg. I mean, come on, we've been through this already. I'm just, I'm so, you know, I suppose in fairness, if you're somebody who's been, if you, if you've, if anybody who picked up Naomi Volume One and it was actually interested in Naomi Volume One, which I can understand because it was reasonably good, and now you're picking up Volume Two and you've never read Naomi at all, then maybe I can kind of see this. I can kind of see this, maybe. But this is still ploddingly slow, ploddingly slow, and I'm just I, this to me is um, I just. I'm just I'm I'm deeply dissatisfied by this. I this is this is obscenely slow. We're, uh, we already know we're in we're at issue. This is issue three. We're halfway through this, <laughs> and she knows nothing about her home world. She she knows nothing more about her home world than ever before. She we, she knows there's there's actually been nothing substantive that has actually happened in three issues. So what is she? What more does she know about her home world? Has she gone to her own home world yet? No, she's not even there yet. She's worried about D. Why is she worried about D? He's now he's back at the end of this issue. So we're going to have issues four, five, and six. And what's going to what can possibly happen in three issues? Bendis has proven that he does not know how to move a story. And bear in mind, he's had two years. And I know you can't blame him because it's all DC shenanigans. But what's his excuse now? He's got six issues, and this is plotting. I'm I'm sorry, but I'm the art's fantastic. But the art can't save a bad story, and this this to me is just this is unbelievable. You said, you said I didn't like it as much as you. You didn't say you hated it. This is obscene. What? You're using a, like. You, well, no, you I'm just saying. But no, no, but this is fine. But this is like uh, this is like is the art's fine, sure. But where's where's the story here? Give us something. I, the whole point. The What's whole to the me story? the whole point of the story. The whole point of the story is she's only had these powers for a couple of weeks. This is all still new. This is her and her parents coming to terms with her gaining these powers. That's the Wait, whole we've point. We've known that for movie. how long? 
I mean, she's had is, the power. You, if you read the book, she says it's you know she's talking to her her friends under the bleachers at school. It's only been a couple of weeks that she's had these powers. This uh, is realistic in terms of if you only had these powers for a couple of weeks and you're disappearing from your home at night, your parents are going to be freaked out. This reads very realistic to me, uh, and it's about establishing who this teenage superhero is and establishing the angst and the drama and everything that goes along with the fact that she's got a crazy life. You said it yourself. She has Iranian as a father. She comes from a different world. She's got a best friend that's a Thanagarian. Uh, she's only had the powers for a couple of weeks. She's coming to terms with what her limits are. She says those words, those exact words in this issue as well. So I, it, your, the, your problem, the, a lot of what you're complaining about, you're like, we've seen this, we've seen this, we've seen this. It goes back to what I said before. Yeah, we've seen it in all the other issues of her that have already come out and Justice true. League and other crossover stuff. All that takes place after this. That's the problem. This should have come out. Like, this shouldn't even be Naomi season two. This should still be Naomi season one, issue number nine, because it should have just kept coming out. It never should have stopped after the six issues. That's okay. my point. That's why well, it doesn't work. Okay, I'm, I'm not sure... Does that all, all her adventures? This took place before that. I thought this took place after that. That was not clear no, to me. No, all that's what I'm saying. It's that's the that's the mistake that DC made. And again, I don't know if it's Jamal Campbell's okay. schedule or Bendis's schedule or or uh, or David Walker's schedule, but this happens. Like issue issue one of this takes place just you know basically immediately after issue six of season one. This is before I, she's in the Justice League. Before she's, you know, joined up and traveled to her home world. Well, I, I will, I will, I will that. absolutely concede that if if that's the case and, and this came out on time, I would probably maybe feel a little bit more forgiving uh, about it. Uh, no question. And uh, uh, nonetheless, this is still um, there. It's it's a victim of the reality of its circumstance, and being told that still doesn't ameliorate my feelings that this is something that I'm just um, <laughs> I'm sorry but this 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 is just I find this boring I find this really just plain boring to me and this is not something that I've uh, you know uh, and again we're still three issues in and nothing happens that's that's demonstrably proven there three issues in and uh, I mean I mean yeah it's new but that's not an excuse for not having you can still move the plot forward we I don't, I don't, I don't like this character based. Uh, I don't like this character based, and it's not even character. It's dialogue ridden. I find it too dialogue heavy. I find it drowned in characters. You're looking that, for you're what you're saying is you're looking for some action. You're looking for a a, a comic or even where information, and even information, and 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 what I'm saying is this is a story about Naomi coming to terms. Naomi and her parents coming to terms with who they are now. It, with this new reality that they're faced with and coming to terms with how it's changed the dynamic of their relationship. This is not a, a comic that says we're going to see Naomi go to her home world and defeat the person that killed her parents. This isn't a comic where we're going to see Naomi, you know, going and, and fighting against supervillains. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to examine the relationship between Naomi and her parents. Now that she has these powers and to examine the relationship that Naomi has with herself now that she has these powers. So again, I go back to this needed to be done, whatever, like two years, like 
didn't they? The, so the first Naomi came out before the pandemic even happened because I remember getting my copy of <laughs> yeah. number one signed by David Walker <laughs> at true, WonderCon yeah. in 2019. So this needed huh. to come out three years ago. Now I get it that that might, you know, in terms of interpersonal, this is an interpersonal story. This is a story about family dynamics. That might not be a story you're interested in. You may find that boring and that's a hundred percent valid. Doesn't make it a bad story. It just makes it a story that you don't care about. Yeah. Is, and again, you know, and, and I, I suppose if, if I'm going to throw this a bone, I suppose it's because uh, I already know that nothing, nothing they're not, she's not even going to make it remotely to the other world by issue six. No. That's not going to happen. And it's going to be another volume three is going to come out. And by the end of six issues of volume three, she's still not going to make it onto the home world. So this is still going to drag on and on and on and on and on. And unfortunately, I'm going by just Bendis's history on this on on other titles. So I I should know better. I mean, we we, we got countless evidence of that from Leviathan to his Avengers to to everything. So uh, I guess that's that that's just the way it is. But I, I just really wish that there was a little bit more. Uh, th- this does feel that this is this needs more, of a, more action. It's a waste it feels- of a, yeah, it's a waste of a character that's got great potential. We've talked yeah. about this before, how if Naomi had come out every month for the last three years, think about what an incredible character where she could be right now if we had 36 issues of Naomi. Sure. Potentially, uh, yeah. She guarantees she would have got to her world and you know fought Zimbabwe by then. So well, I I just uh, maybe I'm going to say maybe, and I hate to be cynical, but I've I mean Bennis had maybe I should thirty six issues of Superman, and I know I know where that went. So hold on, I should I should also I should have also said, okay, if we had thirty six, if we had Naomi coming out. Every month for the last three years, ever since she debuted, Bendis wouldn't be writing it because he couldn't have kept that schedule. So yeah. she would oh. be in the hands of another writer, maybe just David Walker. Um, so that's the caveat. It wouldn't be Bendis writing it. We'd yeah. do much further along. Anyway, let's move oh, along. We'll we got a couple of we got a couple of other issues uh, to talk about here. Suicide Squad, Get Joker, Book Three. I feel like it's been a long time since we had Book Two of this. Speaking of delays. Uh, but anyway, it's written by Brian Azzarello. Alex Maleev is the artist. Matt Haworth on colors. Jared K. Fletcher on letters. I had to go back and flip through issue two. It had been so long, I didn't really remember. Um, ultimately, I'm going to say I'm pretty disappointed in this issue. Uh, I talked about issue one maybe being one of my favorite comics of all time because Amanda Waller got killed. Well, come to find out in this issue, we find out she's not dead at all. In fact, she's well enough to be talking on the phone to Red Hood. I hate this comic. I hate that Amanda Waller is still alive. Uh, even in a black label book, we can't kill her. Come on, man. Uh, and also whether or not Joker dies at all in the end is completely left to the reader's discretion, which I think is a bit of a cop out. So is this a violent book? Yes. Is there a ton of action? Yes. Does it look like Alex Malieve art? Yes. Is that a good thing? Your mileage may vary. I'm not a fan. Um, so ultimately, yeah, this was, this was, this didn't end in a satisfying way for me. Um, but I do, uh, appreciate Azarello getting down and dirty with the suicide squad and giving us a black label book with a high body count. So what do you think? Uh, I enjoyed it more than you did. I, this very clearly is out of continuity. This is clearly a tale somewhere out there in the DC Omniverse 
and I enjoyed it for what it was for for what it's trying to say. Uh, I actually enjoyed. I, I like the ending. Uh, my own interpretation of the ending, even though it's left all you hear is a gunshot. Uh, but I'm I choose to believe that the Joker is, has been shot by uh, Jason Todd, and that is is in fact dead. Uh, if 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 you if one accepts my interpretation of the ending, I can see people being pissed off because. You know, Batman isn't even in this comic. How could Jason Todd be the one to kill the Joker? Uh, but, I mean, let's face it. Uh, this is, isn't that appropriate? Jason, the Joker killed Jason Todd. Jason Todd ends this one. He gets his comeuppance and he takes out the Joker. And uh, I, I love the characterization of Harley Quinn here. Uh, I mean, the character work here, I think Brian Nazarello did a really good job in the character work here. A lot of people gave Brian Nazarello a hard time on that first issue about, because of some comments Wild Dog made about, domestic terrorism and sounding too much like a, a you know, tr domestic white male f terrorist and all this nonsense. It was true to form. I I love Wild Wild Dog here is one of my favorite characters. I mean, he he's awesome. Him the, the rapport between Wild Dog here and Jason Todd I think is 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 incredible. I love it. There's action, there's a there, there's action and violence. I mean, the bottom line here is that the Joker has basically taken over the bombs that are in the Suicide Squad's head. And upon and, and upon Amanda Waller being killed, there's a new guy that takes over the Suicide the Task Force X. And he gives the, once he finds out through Jason Todd that they're compromised because the Joker has the button that can blow their heads off, he sends the new Suicide Squad in to take out the old Suicide Squad. So you got two Suicide Squads facing off against each other. And while that's going on and people are getting killed, uh, Jason Todd and, and Harley Quinn and Wild Dog, who ultimately end up being the final three that ultimately end up surviving, they, they have to figure out how not only are they going to be able to escape, but they decide that, you know, uh, they're going to be taken out. They want to take out the Joker as well. And so you start off at the beginning. I mean, basically the second issue took place pretty much in a strip bar of all things. I mean, this is Brian Azzarello at his at his best. Or if you're not an Azzarello fan, you could say at, at his worst. You know, mileage is going to vary on that. I'm an Azzarello fan. <laughs> Believe it or not, Brian Azzarello wrote one of my favorite Wonder Woman runs, 36 issues on Wonder Woman. And I love that. I got two absolute Brian, absolute editions of Wonder Woman, Brian Azzarello. I mean, kudos to Brian Azzarello who has Wonder Woman actually call another woman a bitch. You know, thank you, Brian Azzarello. Actually, accurately kept, uh, kept uh, capturing the, the, the true personality of Wonder Woman from time to time. But I digress. This is... This is just plain visceral, violent fun. This is not your everyday Suicide Squad. This is a Suicide Squad that is. Uh, look, it's it's it's. This might be offensive to some people. Uh, even Harley Quinner at the end refuses to confront the Joker because she's afraid the Joker is going to be able to talk her out of killing of J of killing him. Uh, this is uh, just. This is a. Uh, Having read, like, if you read all three back to back, this is just, this is a high pace, high octane adrenaline rush of, of a series. Actually, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Brian Israel did a Birds of Prey one shot that had, was met with very mixed reviews as well. And he, the way he scripted Black Canary is basically sleeping with three guys. She picked up three guys in a bar and slept with them. And he got, he got, he got really the shit end of the stick for that. And here he is with this uh, get Joker. And there's a, there was a lot of scenes here in the second issue, especially with uh, 
Harley Quinn doing a, a pole dance, strip dance with the Joker. And then this scene, the violence and the joke, Joker meeting his untimely end. There's a scene here where Jason Todd uh, rips a face off one of their assailants and she's someone with a scarred face that wants to survive to ultimately kill her husband, her, her father who did, did that to her. She ends up you know, dying. Jason Todd is a vi- Jason Todd is an asshole in this. He, he, nobody in this comic is a, is a hero, he, including Jason Todd. Really, all of them are are really screwed up people, including Jason Todd. And that's kind of what I like about it. This is no holds barred. Brian Isarello isn't pulling any punches, but it's precisely because he's doing that. You're either going to like this or you're going to hate it. There's probably not too many people that are going to fall in between. So, uh, and I, I got to give kudos to uh, 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 Maliv's art here. Uh, Maliv, often his art, I think this art is when he was uh, doing the art for with Bendis on Leviathan and Leviathan Checkmate. I thought I didn't think it was very good. I didn't think he was very good at scripting the action scenes or the fight scenes. They were all just talking heads here. I think his art, I think he's upped his art game a little bit here. I think it's better. I think he's gotten better at at, uh, illustrating uh, some action scenes than he has in the past. And I think this is a step up. Uh, I I think he really brought, given his artistic talent, I think he's actually increased his his artistic uh, skill here. And I want to give him credit for that. And so all in all, I enjoyed this. Yeah, I would have enjoyed it a lot more had Amanda Waller stayed dead. That, that I, I'm not even kidding. Like that is what ruined this for me. It would have been an enjoyable story. I would have echoed a lot of what you said. There's, it's clearly out of continuity, like you like you said. So there was literally no reason to bring her back, leave her dead in the ground, gone forever. And this, I, this would be like way up there for me. The fact that it brought, they brought her back for no reason other than to show you can't kill Amanda Waller, I guess, that, that's even worse. That makes it worse than if they'd never killed her at all. And I'm being a little bit facetious, but not really. That really, but I was like, really? She's on the phone. She's alive. She's she's well enough to even be talking. Screw that. <laughs> yeah. Pissed me off. Anyway. Yeah I, mean, uh, yeah, I know. And how often does the Joker not kill somebody? Right? I mean, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, okay, last book we're going to talk about in detail. Wonder Woman number 787. This is from Michael W. Conrad and Becky Cloonan. Emmanuel Lupacchino does the pencils. Wade Von Grobager on inks. Tamara Bond Villan on colors. Pat Brosso on letters. Ah, we have Diana. She's on Themyscira. She's talking to Nubia. And they're discussing everything that's happened uh, recently. That would be the trial of the Amazon event. Not going to get into any of that here because we covered it in all the spotlights. Don't want to rehash it. Um, but Nubia basically kicks Wonder Woman off the island. I, I, not really, but she's like, what are you still doing here? You know, trust us to clean up man's world needs you. She doesn't say that, but she doesn't say man's world, but she says, you know, the world needs you. You need to go off and, and do your thing. And also there's uh, other loose ends that you need to tie up. And Wonder Woman's like, oh, you mean like Altum? And so she goes out, she finds the sub where Altum is. We find out that everything that we thought we knew about him wasn't necessarily true. We sort of get his true origin. It makes a lot of sense, um, but it's all wrapped up here, just a couple of pages. And I'm left thinking, you know, when he showed up in the pages of that Wonder Woman annual, it felt like something big, right? It wasn't even necessarily a story I wanted, yep. but it felt like it was a big story. It felt like it had consequence. It felt like 
you know, something the Amazons were going to have to deal with. I, I even speculated that maybe when you say trial of Amazons, it was the Amazons being put on trial for stealing the island of Themyscira from these other beings that were there first, because that's what we were led to believe. And then this all gets wrapped up in, in just a few pages. It turns out that that's not what happened at all. Altum and his people were, they were apparently dead. They were brought back to life by the gods and they were uh, tasked with cleansing Themyscira of beasts like Echinata and, and other beasts that were there, Cyclopses and whatnot. Um, and Altum ended up, they, that him and the, the people that were resurrected ended up being betrayed by the gods, as the gods often do. And the only reason Altum survived was because he hid. And now he has all this guilt after being alone all this time. And he decides, uh, as the submarine is in sinks, Wonder Woman says, you know, you need to protect yourself and forgive yourself. And he's, I'm going to go down with the ship and this is my penance and this is my punishment. Not a, not a terrible ending for it, but I guess I go back to why did, why did they, they dedicate a whole annual to this character that wasn't even important enough to get, res, to have a whole issue to, to have his storyline resolved. It felt so anticlimactic. Oh, so he really wasn't very important at all. No wonder he only showed up for like two panels in the trial of the Amazons, even though that wasn't a very good event yeah. anyway. So I don't know, man. It, it really feels like, does anybody, does anybody editorially, does anybody creatively know what the hell they're doing with this Wonder Woman title right now? Uh, uh, so that's the first half of the book. The second half of the book, it actually improves. We see Siegfried and Trevor, uh, Steve Trevor are actually roommates now, which is just funny because obviously they've both had a very close personal romantic relationship with Wonder Woman. So there's, a lot of interesting dynamics there and we see Etta Candy uh, is you know shows up and, and picks them up and then they're attacked by these guys that Dr. Psycho has sort of brainwashed and in the end we see Dr. Psycho has recruited some other villains to join his villainy incorporated and they're going to be uh, who Wonder Woman is, is taking on next now do I have faith that it's going to be high quality yeah I mean, my, the jury's out. I have my doubts only because this uh, Wonder Woman title has been so wildly inconsistent ever since this creative team has taken over. I have high hopes that it'll be really good um, because I feel like this whole idea with going up against Villainy Incorporated and making it back more back into a superhero book is what would work uh, because I'm never a fan of Wonder Woman that leans into the God stuff. Uh, and that's all we had with her jumping around through different mythologies. And it got really old and dragged out for a really long time. And we went from that into the trial of the Amazons, which was less than stellar. So, man, I, I feel like Wonder Woman really needs a win and maybe shifting more towards the superhero and superheroic aspect of Diana. Maybe that'll work. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, and I also hope that we get a, a consistent art team. So I think the... Uh, although Emmanuel Lupacchino's art is not, is not my favorite, um, just getting some consistency on art issue in and issue out, I think would help uh, the story as well. And then the only thing I'll say about the young Diana story backup written by Jordi Belair with art by Paulina Gonchow is the same thing I always say. It doesn't belong as a backup because it's so wildly different in tone than the regular Wonder Woman story. Just either put them out like once, twice a year as a standalone graphic novel or put in its own book, something. I don't know. It doesn't work as a backup. I, I, I don't, I, even though I, I like the young Diana stories, I don't like reading them right after I've read the main story of adult Wonder Woman because they just, 
they're so it's it's so jarring to go from one to the other. So mm-hmm. anyway, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about this Wonder Woman story, Rock? Well, you uh, you uh, very diplomatically stated uh, exactly what I'll state, perhaps in a less diplomatic manner. Uh, <laughs> I after a trial of the Amazons, I I did a thirty five uh, thread uh, rant on Twitter, and I made a prediction, uh, and I predicted correctly, to my astonishment, uh, that Altum would be. Uh, and I was joking when I tweeted this. I was joking when I said Wonder Woman's uh, Wonder Woman's going to solve is going to defeat Altum by wrapping her magic lasso around him and making him see the truth. <laughs> and I was joking because that's what she's done before as a trope, and that's exactly what she does here. I mean, this is an Altum that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, Altum has been wandering alone. He's Altum the survivor and his his quest for revenge against the Amazons. And he finally decides to show his head, his white albino head now. And then all it takes to cure him is wrapping a magic lasso around him. Oh, I see the truth. Thank you, Diana. Please forgive me. And in a fit of depression, he's going to kill himself and go down with the submarine that Wonder Woman destroyed trying to find him. And Wonder Woman will just let him commit suicide and and sink to his death. Now, I'm sure we'll see Eltham again, but this is the end of this villain that played a major role in uh, apparently uh, disrupting the contest uh, by, you know, the domestic terrorism or his terrorism on the, to disrupting the contest by blowing up the Coliseum and what have you and and, and blowing up a museum uh, in, in Wonder Woman annu- 2021 annual. And this is this is the big villain. And, and it's so much ado about nothing, nothing. This is a no. This is a nothing burger. He was nothing but a plot device for P- Trial of the Amazons. He was an afterthought, and he's been dismissed with something as simple as Wonder Woman entering a submarine and wrapping her magic lasso around him, and he's done. He's off the playing field. This is inexcusable in my mind. This is one-dimensional storytelling at its finest. Anybody could do this, and we're supposed to have faith. That they're going to continue on this, but but let's but let's continue on. We already know about chaos. The the big villain chaos was introduced early on, and then all of a sudden chaos is the major villain in the contest. And then we continue on here, and suddenly we have Steve Trevor, I guess, moving in with Siegfried. I don't know. Does Steve Trevor know that Siegfried slept with Wonder Diana? I guess. Does he know? Maybe he knows. Maybe he doesn't care. Apparently, he's seeing somebody. Okay, so clearly they're focusing on. Wonder Woman now apparently has is suggested now that she's got feelings for Steve Trevor still, and she's a little concerned that maybe Steve's seeing somebody. Meanwhile, Siegfried, the other guy she slept with, is now the two guys she slept with are now roommates. I actually find that kind of comical. That's kind of interesting. So that I even kind of like because at least at least we got some some actual drama going on, and I we'll see what goes with that. It's a little bit odd that Siegfried and, and Steve Trevor don't really talk about Diana. I, I don't know why they, what, you know, if they're, if they're guys, you're not going to tell me that these guys over drinks aren't, aren't going to talk about, eh, they're not going to talk about Diana. Come on. Uh, show me that scene instead of all this superfluous stuff. But uh, what the most grating thing on this, it, this, which I find is so, is so tropey that, I'm I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna be harsh about it, but Doctor <laughs> Dr. Psycho here, oh my god. I mean he's so this is so tropey. I mean he's he's 
I don't even know what he's saying. Are they trying to make him an insane Jordan Peterson? Which, you know, I, I, I love Jordan Peterson. I read his book. I think it's great. Uh, uh, but this, are they trying to suggest that, you know, he starts talking, Psycho's talking about the human spirit dependent on hierarchies. Depression is on the rise due to the failing structure of modern society. What does that even mean? Uh, naturally, humans desire order. We believe we wish to we wish to be in control, but look within yourself. Is that truly the case? And he's ranting about nonsense. Happiness is hard enough to come by. Don't feed us a shame sandwich for not caring. All this amidst freedom from domination. You can manifest it all. Together, all is possible. I don't even know what he's saying. So, now, first of all, leaving aside the fact that I, I always thought he was a known fugitive, but I guess not. He's got access to a TV channel that I don't know is manipulating people, deceiving people. What is he really saying? What is he doing wrong? Okay, so he's spouting nonsense. There's a suggestion here, clearly implied that this that he's a misogynist and he hates women and he hates Wonder Woman. Okay, he's a short white male. He looks ridiculous. So you you make him. I mean, he's a character that looks ridiculous. So by all means, make him spout misogynist rhetoric to really hammer the point home. Thank you very much. This is so over the top. I get it. I get it. It's a Wonder Woman comic, so the enemy has to be a misogynist. I get it. And then and then just and then and then when we get to the end, his villainy incorporated. You got Doctor Poison, who is I don't know. Doctor Poison is. This she looks so like, like all of this is so over the top. It feels like I'm watching a Saturday morning cartoon. I mean, Professor Calculus who manipulates the stock market and he's funding them. And then of course there's Sweetheart, the the the, the Wonder Woman clone that he calls Sweetheart, who's useless to him, who who he just uses around because she looks like Wonder Woman and he can use and abuse her. So he's really really a misogynist. In case you missed it in the first five four or five previous issues, he's really really a misogynist. So he now he's even got a clone scar of Wonder Woman that he calls Sweetheart, and and then you got the twin shadows. I don't even know what to do. Here's my concern. They squandered Altum. They squandered the use of chaos. And now suddenly we've got all these characters in Villainy Incorporated. I don't trust. None of these are going to get a fair shake. All of these are very potentially interesting characters, including Dr. Psycho here. Don't get me wrong. But I've gotten zero indication so far that any of these are going to be actually developed to any potential. And even if they are developed, I've got no faith that there's going to be any payoff based upon the insulting disregard of Altum as a villain. And that's, that's, that's what's so heartbreaking about all this. And I, I hope I'm wrong, but at this point, this is comedy. This is comedy, the Villainy Incorporated. Comedy. And this is comedy. And amongst this, the comedy of villains here, they're, they're comedic in their jokes. And then to throw it in, we, we, got, we got, oh, well, at least she's got two guys on the side that not only has she slept with both of them, but now they're roommates. So let's, let's get the drama. So I, um, I don't know what to think, but I, this is all over the place. It's messy, but it's kind of fun maybe from a comedic point of view. But um, I got to tell you, man, I just... Uh, the sophistic there's no sophistication of a plot like i i have no idea where the plot's going here what's what's the motivation other than we know that Psych, dr psycho is a is hates wonder woman and hates women in general what's the plot like what what's the what's the plot like i i don't get it anyways yeah it's been a long time since we've had a good wonder woman run unfortunately <laughs> so 
Uh, anyway, some other books you might want to be on the lookout for. Uh, there is a, a a compilation, a special uh, Batman the Night issue, which collects the first three issues of that uh, series. I think it, we're up to issue number, I think we reviewed six just recently. So that's the Chip Zdarsky, uh, Carmine DiGiomenico run. If you missed it, you can get the first three issues in a collected uh, soft cover. Also, we have some uh, other collections. Justice League Volume 1 Prisms hardcover, which I think that collects the first uh, of Brian Michael Bendis' run. And then we have Batman vs. Bigby, a Wolf and Gotham trade paperback. And there is a DC poster portfolio from Frank Quitely that's coming out um, this week as well. So, uh, yeah, that's it. That's the DC books for this week. Uh, as I said, even though technically it already came out, not coming out on Tuesday, I got to give Dark Crisis Zero my book of the week. Uh, I thought it was by far and away the best DC book. A little bit of a down week. Uh, I agree with Rocky there. So, uh, what about you, Rocky? Favorite book? Well, uh, let me see here. Uh, my favorite book, I would probably go with. Uh, I'll go with I Am Batman. I'm going to go with I with I Am Batman. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. As always, don't forget to check out our new Comic Wednesday episode that comes out hopefully tomorrow. I will be on the road, but I'm hoping to record it from the hotel room. Uh, and I do have some other interviews coming up later this week that I'm doing from the road as well. So what about you, Rocky? Any uh, content people should be on the lookout for? I, I actually, no. This week, I'm, uh, I, I don't have time for any content. I'm going to be knee deep in work and so probably will i'll probably be silent on my channel until next week when we review next week's dc comics all right well there you have it everybody thanks for joining us as always don't forget to head over to youtube subscribe to rocky's channel a comic space boom exclamation point if you are checking us out on youtube and you're curious about the other content that comes out from the comic source audio only just go to your favorite podcasting app uh, or podcasting platform on your smart device do a search for the comic source and subscribe uh, that's going to do it for this episode Rest in peace to the mighty George Perez. We're going to miss you, buddy. Uh, that does it, everybody. We'll talk to you later. See you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.